And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios right here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for your belief, for your trust in us. Man, we've got uh, a great program mapped out for you tonight. Oh, man. You know, you look at the headlines. Where do you even start? Uh, Where? Where? Help, help me. Give me a map. I mean, my goodness. You've got, obviously, the residual effects of terrorism in London. You've got Piers Morgan taking on, uh, Sadiq Khan saying, hey, hey, where are all them there terrorists that, uh, you know, that, that you let back in this country? And that's the UK. And that's Piers Morgan. Go figure. And then, of course, we got Super Thursday. Get the popcorn out. Comey, Comey's Carney, as I'd like to put it. Comey's Carney in front of Congress. The progressives are piddling as we speak. Yes, indeed. Folks, we're simulcast. Uh, well, we're live right here on Global Star Radio Network. I want to thank them for carrying our program. Thank you so much, Global Star Radio, as well as being simulcast on BTR and YouTube Live. Of course, reaching all of a civilized, all of the civilized world. Our, we've got a tremendous guest for you coming up. Joe and I are here, by the way. Um, Sans Eric, Eric the Tech. Eric the Tech is off. Yes, he's off. I come back, he leaves. Go figure. Anyway, I don't want to waste a moment of this guest's time. You all know this man. I know you do. Jack Posobiec. Ring any bells? It should. I don't know. About 18 gazillion people know him. Um, He is an author. He is a uh, filmmaker. He is a recovering political operative. All-around great guy, actually. But most importantly, he's a guy that's got his finger on the pulse of uh, j- domestic political news information. And something he wrote, uh, just stunning. Just at, it blew my mind. <sighs> yeah, what's left of it. Massive staff walkout planned at House Oversight Committee when Gowdy takes over. Shavitz, Jason Shavitz, of course, AWOL. But, but here's what the mind-blowing part of this is, okay? M- and many senior and long-time staffers of the House Oversight Committee plan a walkout when Trey Gowdy takes the gavel over from Jason, Jason Shavitz. Gowdy, who led the two-year House Benghazi probe. Yeah, how'd that work out for everyone? It has secured near-unanimous support among members of the House Republican Steering Committee and so on. But, but here's what just, just, made my nose bleed. I, I mean, I, I don't know how else to say this. Listen to this, uh, listen to this paragraph here. And then I'm going to turn, I'm going to, we're going to bring, uh, Jack on. This is from Jack's work. The, the staffers claim that their walkout is not necessarily in solidarity with, uh, Jason Chavitz, but more of a preemptive move because they strongly suspect Trey Gowdy will make changes or, or fire a lot of senior staff. The top staffers of the committee are David Rapella and Suzanne uh, Saxman, 
both Democrats. Now listen to this: who are uh, e- who are each paid one hundred and seventy-two thousand in salary of the entire committee staff of ninety? Only two, count them, two junior members are registered Republican. What's wrong with that picture? Anyway, uh, Joe, glad to have you. Let's bring on our yeah, our friend uh, and uh, our uh, and Jack's with us. Yeah, uh, what an incredible researcher and uh, incredible guy, Jack. Jack, thanks so much for joining us. I hey, appreciate you guys having me on, and, and I'm glad you liked the uh, the report there. I actually just got some some word that uh, a whole bunch of documents. I just got some word today that a whole bunch of documents from the committee uh, have been sent to Gowdy's office. So it looks like he should be getting the gavel very very soon here. And uh, you know that stuff I brought out about the staffers and the fact that so many of them are quite simply either registered independent or registered. Democrat, the fact there isn't any commensurate number of Republicans, only two very, you know, very junior advisory type staffers, almost a, you know, step above intern. You know, it just goes to show you that people don't understand that so much of DC, so much of the bureaucracy, people refer to it as the deep state sometimes, uh, it's, it's very liberal. And despite who the representatives are, despite who the president is, the entrenched establishment bureaucracy here is extremely liberal. Well, uh, apparently, and obviously, yeah, we we can tell that by the results that we're getting. Of course, the swamp is very deep. Uh, Jack, out of respect for you, uh, uh, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we've got you for this segment to the bottom of the hour, so uh, until about 26 minutes uh, until our network breaks. So I'm going to I'm going to just kind of toss this out to you. What's on your mind, on your heart? What is weighing heavy uh, on your heart? Uh, we can go anywhere. That, that that you want to go, but I really want to turn this over to you because you've got. Yeah, I, I, we follow your work here like a. Uh, we have your Twitter up uh, on our on our tweet deck like uh, you know it's a news feed, man. I mean we follow you. We're stalking you, Jack. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not too close, uh, I hope. It, it, no, of course not. But but, but folks, uh, Jack Posovic is is a man that uh, that we do listen to. We follow his uh, reports around right the money. So d- d- take us wherever you want to go because. Uh, we're speaking to a wide audience, and a lot of people are listening. So, let's get the word. Well, I've got to tell you, it's. I mean, I think right now, and I've. I just got back from a few meetings in DC today, and it's everybody is talking Comey, 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 and the, even the restaurants in DC. I don't know if you've heard this. Our whole so his testimony begins at 10 a.m. The bars are opening early at 10 a.m. in D.C. and saying, come on in for your Comey special. They're saying, Comey on in for your 10 a.m. special at the bar. That because they think, the left thinks that Comey is going to destroy Trump tomorrow. Uh, the mainstream media, do you know that all the broadcast networks are actually going to be running it simulcast as if it's some sort of like... Uh, the trial of the century is they're building this thing. And then Comey's testimony comes out today, his prepared statements, and guess what? Um, there's nothing there. He actually confirms everything that President Trump has stated on the record about their relationship and everything that went down. But the fact that he was not under investigation for Russia collusion, period. Oh, man. So, um, uh, yeah, the, uh, the the tweet that you had sent out about the Democrats, or that you had retweeted uh, uh, by our friend uh, uh, Vessel News, uh, st- stating that Democrats are on suicide watch uh, applies. It's applicable. <laughs> uh, my goodness. I mean, so, they, so this, they have yeah. gone so far out on this limb 
of, and I think there's, I think there's a list that somebody was passing around of over 250 people tied to Trump that have been accused of being Russian agents. And this, this, it's, you know, we used to have the vast right wing conspiracy, and now it gets the vast Russia wing conspiracy, right? And <laughs> you've got, you've got Democrats, even people, elected officials that are generally not too, you know, I wouldn't necessarily consider them kook fringe, like they're not quite Maxine Waters, but they're all sort of, going out there, going as far as she is, these Louise Mensch types, uh, she's someone who's really sort of been a ringleader of so much of this, and and thinking with these insane theories about uh, Trump and about Russia and Putin and videotapes in Moscow doing this and that, and they, they honestly believe that Comey is going to somehow come out tomorrow and, and put the nail in the coffin. And, and first of all, I wanted to turn that on its head and say, you know, James Comey is a man who uh, it's funny because sometimes the Democrats love him, sometimes the Democrats hate him. You remember that? They, after his statement in July last year, when he said that the Hillary investigation was closed, the Democrats loved him. They thought he was the greatest guy in the, on the face of the planet. Chuck Schumer was out there every day, you know, uh, extolling the virtues of James Comey. And then in October, when he reopened the investigation, they immediately threw him under the bus and said, you know, he's, he's the worst thing in the world. And, uh, you know, this guy should be run out of town. So when the president fired him, then suddenly it became, aha, we must love Comey again. And it's, the the idea that James Comey or has this credibility now when his statements they've really just become confusing at this point it seems like um, where he's basically come out and said you know there's been an investigation there is an investigation well there is well there isn't it's, it's always back and forth yeah this is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen uh, in an election, and, and I've been following elections since uh, uh, FDR. Now, I'm kidding on that, but but quite a long time. Um, <laughs> I, I, Comey, Comey is is the single, and this just came out. The medical statistics: Comey is the single uh, most uh, biggest cause of whip, whiplash from Democrats and progressives. Um, you, you know, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to make light of it. Go ahead. And with the the Comey test. Testimony coming out today in, in print. Um, Zero Hedge. There's an article on Drudge that links back to Zero Hedge uh, about CNN's anonymous sources got it wrong on this one. Then they go into detail about uh, CNN and ABC reporting uh, how Comey was expected to refute Trump and uh, how they reported that anonymous sources who were close with Comey and what they expected and what these anonymous sources reported and what CNN reported. Uh, from these anonymous sources completely contradicts what Comey's actually going to say tomorrow. So I wonder, you know, I, my curiosity lies with what kind of, how are they going to spin this to their advantage? Because we know that's exactly what they do. And when the truth of the matter is contrary to what they believe, then this is where we can expect the spin. What do you expect to, to see from these uh, mainstream media outlets tomorrow? The spin that I've seen so far is uh is that they're they're focusing on the fact that that President Trump or at least according to again according to the memo this is not a recording this is not the Nixon tapes this is James Comey who wrote a memo at some point in time that we do not know of a memo that we've not actually seen right uh that that states President Trump said well you know I've been loyal to you I hope you you, you would be loyal to me and where a lot of people say, well, that's just kind of how New Yorkers talk, you know, like, I'll be, you know, I want to work together with you. Whereas, uh, and so they're, they're trying to convert that into some sort of obstruction of justice Nixonian statement where, whereas he's more like saying kind of just like setting down the, the rules of, of, you know, their working relationship. Obviously, Comey had been director before Trump decided to keep, a lot of people thought that Trump was going to fire Comey immediately. 
That, that's what everybody keeps forgetting. Everybody thought that Comey was going to be one of the first people fired, but Trump, it, it was almost, um, you know, kind of a controversy when he said, oh, I'm going to keep him on as, as FBI director, let him finish out the term rather than bringing in my own person. And people said, oh, it's kind of magnanimous, keep on someone who had been in the Obama years, et cetera, et cetera. So for the Democrats to turn around, they, they, they've really got like one tiny little grasp of a straw on this. And they're trying to say that, well, him asking for loyalty, you know, must then mean that he's asking for him to stop the investigation, and then he's asking for this and this and this. Meanwhile, you already have the testimony from, you know, what is it, uh, CIA, NSA, all the directors, and, and the ODNI today saying there was no investigation. President Trump never interfered with our investigation. Comey testified last time that Trump or nobody interfered with any investigation or put pressure on it. So they're they're out on you know, such a bad spot right now, the Democrat Party. So what they're going to do is, and I've been told in confidence, that the senators are only going to be limited to one question apiece with, you know, maybe a couple of follow-ups. So you're going to have the Republicans give their statements, and the Democrats, what I think the Democrat senators are preparing to do is to use their statements to kind of expound on these conspiracy theories and see if they can or can't get, get Comey to comment on anything. And then, of course, the, you know, CNN's going to turn it around and say, Comey refused to deny that Trump is corrupt. You know, something like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I can see it coming. We know it, we know it's, uh, it's there. And I did hear, uh, on the way to the studio today, I did hear Hannity talk about the, the loyalty issue that the media was already trying to, to spin that into something it's not, just as you explained. And, you know, again, back to the memos that, that are so talked about in the news and have been related to Comey. As you said, it's all, you know, hearsay and speculation because this yeah, is but, something he wrote. Hold on, Joe. Hold on. And, Jack, I do this myself. Being an investigator for, for three decades, when when I have a conversation or a meeting, uh, for whatever reason, that may not be uh, recorded at the time, I will dictate a memo to a file or I will keep a memo like that. So I don't think that's too unusual for that no, did, to happen. But, did but, you see but the he's, prepared testimony and the extent of the memos and, and how he talked about body language? How, the way that it, they were Oh, worried. well, okay, in that uh, case, no, I didn't I didn't see that. But the bottom line is, uh, but Joe and, and Jack, would, would he not have been guilty of uh, 18 U.S.C., uh, um, the, the crimes code, if he felt that there was a an issue at the time contemporaneous to, to his conversation for not going to the DOJ on on uh, on Donald Trump's uh, issues, wouldn't wouldn't that wouldn't that be an issue? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. If if it was an obstruction of justice, he as an official of the FBI would, as you, as you said, would then have been bound by law to report that. Uh, however, the the other issue on this is that. There, there couldn't have been obstruction of justice because it hadn't been passed over to the Justice Department yet. It was still within the confines of the FBI, the FBI being an animal of the executive branch. FBI isn't in the Constitution. It's an executive branch or independent agency, and obstruction of justice only counts if you pass it over into the judicial system at any point. So, Jack, what are your thoughts moving forward from here this this Russian narrative we we've seen um, at least this week, and I think this is just due to the anticipation of Comey's testimony. It hasn't been as prevalent in the news as it has been in the weeks and months prior. Uh, do you think this will die out, or do you think this will still continue to move forward without any evidence, without any facts backing up this narrative? To be honest, part of me kind of hopes it does move forward, and I'll tell you why. Because it's it's starting to make the Democrats 
look like fools, just look like a bunch of kook fringers. I, I don't know how you can run in 2018. I don't know how you can run for president in 2020 on a basis of Russia did it. You know, you, you, people in voters in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, they're not going to come out be, because Russia did something. They care about jobs. They care about taxes. They care about, uh, you know, where energy is going. What, what they care about their health care, what's going on with Obamacare. So if this is going to be their main selling point, then I, I don't see them winning in 2018, period. They're already in a bad, a very bad hole uh, with having to defend almost a third of their senators. Uh, coming up in the Senate, there's no chance they have of of taking back the Senate. And now even the House is looking pretty safe for Republicans. Yeah, exactly. Jack, i got to ask you this. What's up with Obama? Uh, I, I Look, I, I, I mean, I don't even know where to start, but but uh, we know, in my view, and I'll just preface it by, by this, that question by, by this: Obama has really set up a, sh- a shadow government. He set up uh, uh, a bank of attorneys, a bank of uh, activists, and uh, under numerous core, uh, um, NGO umbrellas, along with Hillary Clinton as well. To I would say that her to a lesser extent. But what's going on uh, with, with those two? And this, before I forget, I also want to double back and, uh, with, the, with respect to the Russian narrative, the Seth Rich homicide, I do believe, resolution of that, proper, honest resolution, that would blow the, the Russian narrative, um, account out of the water. But, uh, so any, any order you want to take that? Sure, and, and I'll just come, my, my main comment on the Seth Rich investigation would be, why has D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser refused to release the body cam footage from that night from the police officers who responded? All three of them were running body cams. It's a, a, a common practice for the D.C. Mayor. She's released body cam footage in many other cases, many even worse cases than this, where, you know, we're an officer-involved shooting, something like that. Uh, why not release the body cam footage of him simply being tended to for first aid purposes? I don't think it would be graphic. I, I, I don't. I can't see how that would have to do with the shooting if if it really was just a mugging, right? So why not just release the, the footage? Amen. Amen to that. And right, we've seen that before. It's SOP with that mayor. Um, yeah, exactly. Plus all of the other footage that could have been released and the FBI's involvement, uh, which just smells to me. All right. Uh, and you've done some great, great work on all of this, by the way, folks. Our guest is, uh, Jack Pasovic. I'm, uh, I'm, I apologize for stuttering here. Um, I, I was I, just looking at, the, I, I, I thought there was some breaking news, but apparently not. My apologies. Back to the question. Obama, Hillary, your thoughts? Uh, just- yeah, so, so what, what they're doing is, and if you look at this, you've got to put the pieces together, right? So, Elements of the establishment bureaucracy are blocking Trump appointments. Not You saw how they were blocking them at the cabinet level, but what hasn't been talked about very much is the lower-level appointments, the appointments to the different agencies, the appointments to the different uh, departments, even ambassadors, right? We're seeing all of a sudden these ambassadors are now bashing Trump publicly, putting out statements that are that are at odds with Trump, and you're like, why would the Trump's ambassador do that? Well, guess what? Because they're all still the people that Obama appointed because they're blocking all of Trump's appointees to these jobs. They're blo- There's 3,000 jobs that haven't been filled, which means they're still being filled by Obama appointees. These Obama staffers, they that includes a lot of ambassadors. Uh, so what Obama's doing, essentially, is he's still r- running these guys. 
he's still running his people, uh, either directing them or using them as ways to collect intelligence and information on what the Trump administration is doing uh, and putting pressure on anything they can do to stop the Trump agenda, gum up the works, find out what's going on, put um, put wrenches in in the way they're doing everything they can to stop uh, Sheriff David Clark from going into the Department of Homeland Security. I don't know if you how much you've looked into that one. <clears throat> because the specific area they want him to go into is the uh, domestic and community engagement because he is very, very big on going after groups like CARE, going after groups that have been taking money from places like the Muslim Brotherhood uh, and other of these terrorist-linked organizations that are operating in the United States. So they are throwing everything they can at David Clark. And, and Barack Obama, I am convinced, is is behind all of this. He's trying to essentially run his own government within the actual government. Yeah, and you know, with these, with the the hindering of the appointments, and uh, you know, the we saw this with with the Supreme Court nominations. You know, the, the attempted blocking. Um, many people have been wondering what's going on in the Trump administration. How many of the? I still see people saying, you know, the there are many job openings in the cabinet and whatnot, but. Um, it's uh it's very we've never seen this level i've never seen this level of of undermining uh, of and some people even call it sedition uh especially with the previous president obama continuing to interject himself and, and almost continue to act like the president traveling to foreign countries giving speeches with other countries leaders and whatnot i know that that's common but the publicity that he's receiving uh and what hillary clinton's been doing it, it's it is very disturbing, especially when we know these people are, are regrouping and, and looking for another way to continue to do this. Um, we only have a, a few minutes. No, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And the what, what you're seeing with the public appearances and not what you're talking about, what we're talking about with these private uh, blockings, these private hindrances on Trump, everything they're doing, all this Comey stuff, the Russia stuff, all of it is designed to block Trump's agenda from being put into place. All of it is designed to do anything they can to block that from coming into place. And we're seeing that happen. Uh, where are the tax cuts, right? Where is the wall? Where is the replacement for Obamacare? Well, these big, big, big uh, policy issues, the travel, the terror ban. Because they know, because they already saw what happened with the economy just after Trump got elected and started changing business regulations because he could do that by executive order. Uh, they know that if the Trump agenda starts to go into place, People are going, the common people are going to start asking questions about how come no Democrats or Republicans prior to this could have gotten this done. And that is going, that would blow the lid on everything. Yeah, and that's very interesting. So you're saying it's not, uh, the, the Congress and the Senate aren't waiting to pump out legislation because they're waiting to see, you know, if Trump gets impeached, if, if he's, uh, you know, his presidency's disgraced. You're saying that they don't want to rush to get things done because they don't want to have to continue to be accountable uh, to that level of production, and, and you don't think exactly, that, exactly. Uh, they, they, they. I mean, you look at you look at these people, and you know they will they will you know rush to it when it comes to you know renaming uh, a post office or naming a bridge or something like that. But when President Trump is advocating for actual change, actual upheaval of you know the status quo in D.C., suddenly, suddenly you can't find anybody. Suddenly they're not. Suddenly they're not answering your phone calls. Suddenly there's all of these weird conspiracy theories that pop up out of nowhere that you know put a cloud over over things, which actually is, is referenced in Comey's testimony. And Trump saying, "Look, I'm just trying to get done what I said what I was going to do," and all of all of this stuff is blocking my ability to do that. You know, I, so I read that line and I said, 
oh my goodness, that he, he's put his, his, his finger right on it. That's their goal. That is what they intend to do. They don't want Trump to be able to get any of his stuff on because they saw especially how effective he was. You remember those first couple of weeks when it was like every day there was a big announcement, there was a big new thing coming. You know, it was this, it was this, it was this, and suddenly everyone was like, we're winning, we're winning, we're winning. But now it's just that, that gridlock, that morass. And believe me, if there's something that Washington, D.C. knows how to do very, very well, it's gridlock and gum up the works. And so they're just doing that. They're slow rolling every single Trump policy they can. Jack, uh, we only have a few minutes left. I, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. How can people follow you? What's the best way? And how can people support you, your work, your investigative uh, research? Yeah, so uh, the, I, I live on Twitter. Um, I've got a Facebook and a YouTube, but I live on Twitter. So that's Jack Posobiec, J-A-C-K. P-O-S-O-B-I-E-C. Um, as far as supporting, you know, I actually have a book that's coming out very, very soon. It's going to drop in about two to three weeks here. It's called Citizens Trump, and it's about my work uh, on the grassroots campaign uh, for, for President Trump, uh, my work with Roger Stone, Mike Sternovich, a lot of people. And the difference about my book is my book isn't about Trump. My book is about the movement, and that will be available on Amazon. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be the first, if not, I'll try to be the first one to uh, to get my hands on that book. I can't wait. You're a gifted writer. You're a talented researcher. And I just want to say thank you so much for your gift of time tonight. Uh, we are going to tell everyone about this interview, spread it far and wide, and we appreciate everything you do, my friend. Well, I thank you very much for the opportunity to come on. I'm happy to come back anytime. All right, sir. God bless you, my friend. Thank you so very much. All right. Folks, that was Jack Posobiec. My goodness. If you don't, if you're not following him on Twitter, please do so. He's also on gab.ai. And as he mentioned as well, other platforms, social networking platforms as well. Uh, a tremendous, a tremendous guy, researcher. He's got, he's got a nose for the, um, political, the political odors. Where, where the bodies are buried, Jack doesn't know. By the way, portions of the nice broadcast brought to you by Omaha Steaks. Have you gotten your dad his father's steak gift yet? It's not too late. OmahaSteaks.com. Use our microphone code HH in the search bar. That's OmahaSteaks.com. HH is our coupon code for a wonderful Father's Day gift. Joe, we'll, it's, yeah. we'll have, have more on that later. Yeah. Uh, we got a break coming up, but when we come back, we're going to be joined by Eric Pratt of Gun Owners of America, and we're going to be talking about the the gun control in Europe and specifically uh, gun control relating to police officers in uh, parts of Europe specifically on the heels of this London terror attack London you, you know how Joe you know how Joe defines gun control right two hands instead of one <laughs> folks we'll be right back with Eric Pratt right after the short messages don't go anywhere Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. 
T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. gentlemen to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report proudly coming to you live from our radio and television series here in beautiful Northwest Pennsylvania broadcast live Global Star Radio Network BTR that's Blog Talk Radio as well as YouTube we have with us right now Eric Pratt Gun Owners of America Eric Pratt is the executive director for Gun Owners of America he's been there since 1990 now, Gun Owners of America is a national grassroots organization representing more than one and a half million Americans dedicated to promoting their Second Amendment freedom to keep and bear arms. We are absolutely 100% supporters of GOA, uh, who, by the way, they lobby for the gro- uh, pro-gun position in Washington, D.C. Uh, they're involved in firearm issues in the states, all across the United States. Their work includes providing legal assistance to those involved in lawsuits with the 
Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, the Federal Firearms Law Enforcement Agency, of course. And Eric Pratt has appeared on numerous, and I mean numerous, national radio and television programs. Uh, NBC Today Show, for example, MSNBC, CNN, CBS, Fox News Cable, and, of course, the Hagman and Hagman Report. His columns also have appeared in uh, newspapers across the country, including USA Today. Um, he, he authored a book, Bearing Arms, Our Rights, Our Duties, and Our Freedoms. You know, the the book itself, the title says it all, in my view. We are so fortunate to have him. Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you since we're Eric-less at this point. Uh, so let's bring on uh, Eric Pratt. Yeah, the website is gunowners.org, gunowners.org. Eric, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Thank you so much. It is great to be here with you guys. Well, it's great to have you, my friend. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, you're, you are another individual I follow, uh, dare I say almost the stock. Your information is, uh, your research, your information, uh, your work is fabulous. We thank you for everything you do, the freedoms for which you stand on our behalf. And every American, I believe, should be um, or is indebted to you for what you do, for our freedoms, for those people who don't stand up for, for their freedoms. And if we don't stand up, we're going to lose them. So having said that, uh, again, th- thank you. So uh, where are we at Thank today? you. Well, I'll tell you, man, your your organization is... <laughs> It's just amazing, and I just can't get I can't get enough people to really understand the importance of you, your organization, the the freedoms that we have, the necessity that if we if we don't take care of this freedom, we will lose every other one. To me, well, yeah, so, it, it's certainly the one that um, undergirds them all. Absolutely, and. Uh, Eric, I know we have some specific topics we're going to get into tonight, so let's jump right in. The gun control in Europe, and then even gun control within the police force of Europe, and uh, what's the latest there? Wasn't there, uh, didn't the mayor of London recently uh, make a ruling or or state that when asked the question about allowing law enforcement to carry weapons, that he stated that that will not happen? It's really tragic what what we're seeing happen, and, and certainly what happened recently is is extremely tragic in London. But you know, I think it definitely highlights the major differences in the thinking between our two countries and how we respond to, to evil. Uh, as you were just mentioning, in England, much of the police are disarmed, and obviously there's no concealed carry by citizens. And so, with this recent attack at the London Bridge, uh, what you saw were unarmed police fleeing the scene. Uh, and obviously there were exceptions to that where there were, uh, you know, sadly uh, one officer only using a baton, not a gun, who ended up suffering major cuts. Uh, and you also had brave citizens who were throwing chairs and drinking glasses at the terrorists. But obviously uh, there was nothing more at their disposal. What a difference okay. when you talk about... I'm sorry. To me, that is insanity. You've got police officers. What are they, chasing them around? The the bad guys with badminton rackets? Some of the police officers were running away. 
um, some of the police officers with their batons out were actually yeah. wounded. But yeah, I mean, that's what they have. They have their batons. And that, that's progressive thought, huh, Eric? I mean, that, that's, you know, how can anyone embrace that insanity is, is well, that's beyond me. I, well, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, it, it is insanity. And obviously they have the equivalent of what, what we would call SWAT teams. And that's what appeared eight minutes later, which, by the way, is not, is pretty good response time everything considered, but eight minutes is a long time when people are being run over or slashed or fired upon. Uh, eight minutes is a long time, and too many people died. Yeah, what I was going to say is what a difference uh, in terms of our approach uh, in handling things like this. I mean, obviously, you start from the fact that police are armed in the United States, but more to the point, when you ask police the question, how do you reduce mass casualties and prevent mass shootings, 86% of them respond. The way you do that is with armed citizens because they're the ones who are the first responders at at, at these scenes, at these crime scenes. Uh, And we've actually seen that in our country where several mass shootings have been brought to a screeching halt because there were armed citizens, concealed carry holders on the scene who were able to protect themselves, protect others, stop the shooter uh, before uh, more people were, were harmed or before anybody was harmed. Uh, and, and there's lots of examples of that in this country. But, you know, certainly when you look at England, uh, their attitude is, is, well, as the mayor has said, you've got to accept terrorism as a way of life. Uh, well, I would say, why not accept the alternative, which is, hey, let's let people defend themselves. You gotta accept terror as a way of life, my patootie. Okay, that ain't gonna happen. And I'll tell you something. In my view, Eric, and, and, and I know how you feel about this, but reassure me, humor me anyway. Any, any, any adult with, with a, at least an average IQ and the physical ability, uh, and the lack of a criminal record, any responsible adult in America, or any Western country where it is permitted should be carrying a should be carrying a weapon, in, in my view, a, a, a handgun. I, I truly believe that. End the story. Your thoughts? Well, we would agree with that wholeheartedly. And in fact, Gun Owners of America has been on the forefront. We were the first national organization to push constitutional carry as far back as uh, the 1990s. Vermont was the original constitutional carry state, which is, uh, by the way, uh, and I'm sure you guys know, but for your listeners, it's a permitless carry state. People who are not criminals can carry as a matter of right because it is their Second Amendment protected right. They don't have to get permission. They don't have to be registered like sex offenders. They don't have to pay a tax to exercise their right. You know, we don't do that with any other right, whether it's the First Amendment right or any other right. We don't make people jump through hoops before they can exercise their rights. Well, constitutional carry, there's now 14 states, and uh, a lot of these states, you know, the top five states in the country, the safest five states in the country are constitutional carry states, four of them for concealed carry and one of them for uh, open carry. In other words, people carrying without getting 
uh, permission. So this is something that, that definitely works. You know, uh, you know, uh, the, the antis, of course, you know, they always want to bring up the objection that, oh, well, there's going to be shootouts and, and things like that. And, you know, they always talk about it in the conditional sense. Like, if we do this, there will be shootouts. But the, the fact is that they can never point to examples like this. Studies actually show that concealed carriers are actually safer than police. They actually commit crimes at a lower rate than police do. And obviously, we're not going to argue for uh, disarming the police. Uh, so, you know, if we're not disarming the police, why would we do that to a group of people who are actually far safer uh, as a group? So gun owners of America, we've been pushing constitutional carry around the country. Two new states uh, just joined the club this past year, uh, but also at the national level, pushing uh, concealed carry reciprocity, because uh, sadly, a lot of uh, states really are. You, you can, you know, it's an interesting thing. You could drive from Florida to Maine, no problem, in terms of your driver's license. But if you are a concealed carrier, you're not going to be able to drive from Florida to Maine. There are so many loops, loopholes and patchwork system uh, that it makes it simply impossible. And the sad thing is, is not only has that resulted in people being oppressed, uh, Shanine Allen is, uh, you know, certainly a classic case of that, uh, because she, she fought it. Uh, she didn't just take a plea bargain. She's a Philadelphia nurse, uh, a, a mother of two. She got her concealed carry permit and she was kind of new to the gun movement. I mean, she, she got her gun because she'd been robbed twice. Uh, in person, uh, robbed twice and she figured, you know, I, I, <laughs> I want to be around for my kids. So, so she got a gun. What she didn't know, she, she assumed it was like a driver's license. She thought her permit in Pennsylvania was then good all across the country. And so she was pulled over for a, a driving infraction, assumably. Uh, to this day, I don't even think she knows what she was pulled over for. Uh, but she just volunteered to the officer, oh, you know, I have a, concealed carry permit, she thought she was doing the right thing, and that just started a nightmare for her, where she was arrested, put in jail, and, and thankfully, uh, you know, she, while she was facing three to ten years in jail, uh, Governor Christie uh, pardoned her, and, and that was something that Gun Owners of America got involved in, uh, getting our uh, members to petition Governor Christian. So we were very thankful that he did that. Uh, but, you know, in other cases, I tell you that there have been some sad cases where people obeying the law didn't take their gun into the neighboring state because they didn't want to be a lawbreaker, even though they could carry concealed in their home state. And there are examples where good people died as a result. They died while they were in that other state without their firearm in incidents where they easily could have protected themselves. So this legislation at the, at the national level is, is huge. Uh, you know, it's uh, Representative Richard Hudson in the House and Senator Cornyn in the Senate have introduced legislation to basically make your Second Amendment rights apply all across the country. Uh, you know, oh, I, I know that there are Londoners today. In fact, there's been articles on it recently where activists are appealing to the mayor saying, you know, give us back our right to defend ourselves. And sadly, as you were mentioning earlier, uh, the London mayor is digging in his heels and saying no. You know, it would be nice to see legislation, as you just pointed out, that was universal. And, and it shouldn't be the way that you say it is, that the laws say it is, where you're, you have different permits for different states and different laws that apply when you can own a gun. and what People should not be getting arrested 
if they have a concealed carry permit in one state, uh, and then just for for traveling with that with that same weapon and the permit to another state, that that's absolutely uh, terrible that that people are getting arrested and the yes. laws are so that- tight. And I tell you what, you know, we've tried to make it easy for people. One of the things we do, and, and our members tell us that, that they really appreciate about Gun Owners of America, is we make it very easy for them to contact their legislators. Right now, the, the bill I was mentioning uh, by R- Representative Richard Hudson in the House, the, the constitutional uh, concealed carry reciprocity bill, has almost 200 co-sponsors. Right now, at this early state, uh, in the in the Congress, it it has the 14th most co-sponsors out of 2,700 bills that have been introduced. I mean, this, this is really remarkable. Representative Hudson uh, actually publicly commended GOA and our activists for being so forceful and, and active in getting more co-sponsors on this bill. Uh, this thing has a real chance of passing. You know, obviously being at almost 200, we're almost at the halfway point, which means it would be guaranteed to pass. The halfway point in the House of Representatives is 218 uh, representatives. And, you know, so people would go to our website at donors.org, and at, at the top of the site there's alerts that are rotating in the banner. Uh, we're gonna, we, we've already got an alert there dealing with the Hudson bill. We're gonna be posting another one in a few hours. And we, what we do is we provide people pre-written language, and with just a couple clicks, they can send it off to their their legislator, and that makes a tremendous difference because they're constantly hearing from our guys. They're constantly hearing from our people. As I've been walking the halls of Congress, I hear from the staffers. Oh yeah, GOA members have been very active and and very loud on this issue. That makes a tremendous difference. It's not an accident that we have so many co-sponsors on this bill. That sends a powerful message to the leadership uh, that, you know, if, if we can get it up to 218 co-sponsors, that's, you know, that makes the leadership's job easy. They like bills uh, that they can bring up and pass. You know, when, if they bring up a bill, kind of like the health care bill early on, they bring up something and they have to pull it or it doesn't pass, that's egg on their face. They like it when there's something that has a lot of wind. Uh, you know, in the sales, uh, you know, pushing it across the finish line. So I, you know, I, I encourage people to, they can easily, uh, send off, uh, letters. We have the pre-written letters for them. And if they're not already receiving our email alerts, there's a, a button on, on the right side of the page. Uh, they can click on it to sign up for email alerts and then that way they'll get it in their inbox. Very prominent. The website gunowners.org. That's gunowners.org. And support gunowners.org. By the way, I love that, uh, uh, the Trump slump ends, by the way. Gun purchase background, uh, checks hit record after terror attack, uh, overseas, attacks overseas. Isn't that always the way, folks? But, but don't, uh, wait. Uh, take advantage of your Second Amendment rights and, and do arm up. Uh, as quickly as possible, Joe. You had a, uh, a question. Yeah, you, uh, Eric. You said you're in in D.C. and, and uh, walking the halls of Congress. Um, has the atmosphere or even the attitude of of people changed since the Trump election? Or uh, what has changed with this new administration with the with the latest Congress, if anything? And has it become more uh, uh, has it become pro, more pro gun or uh, anti gun? I think, you know, there, there, there's a mix of things, uh, to be honest. Uh, on the one hand, there is an optimism, especially 
by the guys who are hardcore because rather than being on defense all the time, we can now be on offense. And so there's a certain cadre of legislators who are getting very aggressive. Now, um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, Republicans are rhinos and they're compromisers, and so we're constantly having to light fires under them. And that's one of the things we do uh, at Gun Hunters of America is we light a fire under them, and we don't do it by whining and dining them. We do it by contacting the zillions of people in their districts, in the members' districts, uh, the politicians' districts, and get them in contact with the legislator. And, and that's what we found to be a winning strategy. In fact, just, you know, as an example, one of the, the, the biggest victories that gun owners of America uh, got in recent years was the fact that no gun control passed after the Sandy Hook tragedy. I mean, that was a, a tragedy, and obviously Obama was using that tragedy to try to voice new gun control group and, and there, uh, new gun controls. And there was a big gun control group, I won't mention their name, but you probably know who I'm talking about, who was trying to forge a compromise with Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Well, once we found out about it, we exposed it to our members. We said, look, we know a lot of you are members of this other organization. Contact them. Tell them you want no gun control at all. Well, as soon as they started lighting up the other organization, they bailed on the compromise. In fact, the New York Times actually documented the, the, the whole kind of scenario, the way it went. I know these guys are the biggest purveyors of, of fake news generally, but uh, they, they wrote a post-mortem on why gun control died. Uh, you know, they, they were one of the biggest backers of gun control, and they wanted to know why did gun control die. And from the New York Times on the left to other media outlets on the right, they said the biggest reason gun control died was because of GOA activists, because of the members and activists of Gun Owners of America exposing that compromise and, and instilling strength into the Republicans on the Hill that were trying to compromise. So, you know, those days of, you know, we're always going to have to fight defensive battles. The exciting thing is that now we are on the offense. And, of course, concealed carry reciprocity is one of the big things. I mean, that's huge that we're, you know, we have the 14th highest number of co-sponsors on the bill. I mean, some of the ones that are higher are like commemorative bills or cancer research bills. I mean, these are bills like, who can say no to these things, right? I mean, it's the kind of things that, you know, people on the right and left will, will support. As far as real issue bills, our bill is, is really one of the highest, uh, if, you know, close to being the highest, uh, or the highest top ranked bill, uh, that would actually accomplish something substantive in policy like reciprocity. Um, for uh, Second Amendment rights all across the country. I mean, that's huge. You know, to be able to get that many co-sponsors on such a, well, it shouldn't be a divisive issue, but on an issue like the Second Amendment, I mean, that is really huge. So, yeah, there's been a new level of optimism at the same time, you know, where there's always uh, the weenies that we're going to have to, you know, strengthen them by getting uh, the the members in their districts to contact them and say, hey, I want you on this bill. Why haven't you gotten on this bill yet? And, and we've been doing a lot of that. As you look through our alerts on our website, you see that we just constantly keep hammering them. And the way they can make the pain, they, the politicians, the way they can make the pain go away 
is they can get on the bill. They can get on the bill that will support people's Second Amendment rights. So th- there is a lot of optimism right now, but obviously uh, there is a need for groups like Gun Owners of America to still be there, because otherwise, if we weren't, then you know they kind of just go into neutral, um, and you know they have their certain pet projects they want to push, uh, but Second Amendment may not be one of them. Eric, I agree. If, if we can, just uh, we only have a few minutes left of the interview. Want to move back to Europe uh, before before we're out? Do you see any uh, the rate that the terror attacks have been have been coming seems to be steady and consistent? We've seen the the uh, the ones in the UK more recently. Even Iraq today was attacked by uh, had a terrorist attack today, but that's neither here nor there. Do you believe so, we'll see so any still less than Chicago? By the way, but go on. <laughs> Do you think there will be any reason, or would we see any reason in the near future where Europe would have a, a change? Uh, to to want to arm their policemen, or do you think that's just a lost cause, or that's their problem? <laughs> well, I, I, I certainly hope they would do that and even go beyond that um, in terms of arming citizens. And there are some countries that are moving that way. The Czech Republic gets it. Their president told their citizens to start arming themselves and to shoot the terrorists themselves. You know, and of course, the liberals went crazy with that kind of thought. That that was back in January. Guess what? There haven't been any mass shootings in the Czech Republic uh, since the president said that. Gun sales have been skyrocketing in the country, uh, but it's working. You know, people are defending themselves, and that serves as a deterrent. On the other hand, you have countries that are stuck on stupid, uh, like Germany. I mean, they've got their open borders. They're, they're letting terrorists in. Uh, they have, a, you know, this is a country that it is said about them that they have some of the, the strictest gun controls in the world. So has that eliminated uh, mass shootings? No. Uh, has it eliminated bad people finding other instruments like knives to start killing. No, it hasn't. And they right now have a knifing epidemic. Oh, from last year to now, their knife attacks have increased 1,200%. And sadly, with many of them, the, the, the person doing the knifing is yelling, Allahu Akbar, or, you know, they're, they're killing uh, somebody else because they're eating during Ramadan. I mean, you see what's going on there. But, I mean, again, this is a country where the citizens in public are defenseless. And look, <laughs> where guns are banned, the knife-wielding man is king. And, uh, you know, as long as Germany is stuck on stupid that way, uh, they're going to continue to have problems, uh, whereas countries like the Czech Republic uh, are are experiencing relative safety uh, going the armed citizen approach. Amen to that. And we need here in, in this country, we need to take care of our, our problems uh, first and foremost. Uh, Eric, how can we t- t- tell our audience again, those people here in the United States, we have a vast uh, listening audience here in the U.S. as well as worldwide, but if you're if you're listening uh, to, to this broadcast anywhere in the uh, 50 states, not 57, by the way, but 50. Uh, how can we best how, how can we how can we best help you? How can we best help ourselves, my friend? Absolutely. Uh, the, the easiest way is, is to go to our website at gunowners.org. Uh, sign up for our free alerts. 
Um, you know, and obviously right there above it, there's a, a button to join GOA. Uh, it's $20 a year. I mean, look, a box of ammunition is going to cost you more than that. I mean, that's, that's the best bargain in town. And that keeps us on the front lines, uh, fighting the fight. Uh, in terms of emails, we don't load up your inbox. You'll get one, if uh, no more than two emails during the week, which is keeping you abreast as to what's going on here in Washington. Now, I would also encourage people, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Uh, we give out a lot of good information there, uh, but a lot of the real, uh, you know, here's the action that we need and providing people the pre-written letters that I was talking about earlier, that comes through the email alert. So, you know, I just encourage people to, to hit the black box on the right-hand side of the, of the website, sign up for email alert. Fantastic. And I, I, I encourage everyone to join GOA, Gun Owners of America. That's gunowners.org. Uh, in fact, we here at the studio individually are going to be doing that as well today and urge every one of our listeners to do it, to support your organization, to be informed, and to be armed. God bless you. Thank you so very much for your uh, gift of time. Um, and I know, you know, uh, taking time out of your busy schedule is uh sometimes it just, it just it it's a pain in the butt but thanks for coming on and we really appreciate it my, my my brother we really do well you're very welcome and thank you again for for having me on i appreciate you guys god bless all right my friend god bless you too again that was eric oh, pratt great guy from gun owners of america the website is gunowners.org and we want to thank jerry mclaughlin yes for arranging that interview uh, Jerry McLaughlin, we do appreciate that very much. We are coming up. J- J- Jerry's a guy. By the way, Jerry, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. And Joe just told me today, he said, you give me Jer- Jerry's address, I will go and wax his, wash and wax and detail his car. <laughs> yeah. And that's what he said. So, Well, if I did or didn't, it doesn't matter. It looks like I'm on the hook now. There you go. We'll be right back after after this network break with Chad Schaefer. Don't go anywhere. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. But what Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a thing, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. 
Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke and fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth of what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an MOK. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified, accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. Precious Timber Profits. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, live from our radio and television studios in northwest Pennsylvania. I want to say thank you so much to each and every one of you for joining us. Thanks for listening. Please share our program with others. Would you do that for me? Please share our program. Let others know about this show. It's growing. You can see it. You can feel it. We are a force to be reckoned with. We are operating under a new mandate. That mandate is, of course, doing, not just complaining, not just talking behind a microphone, but doing. We have uh, folks who are expanding our investigative staff. Uh, We have investigators in the field. That's right. Uh, working behind the scenes, of course, and we're also developing not just investigators, but also researchers as well as journalists to bring you the best, the, uh, the best we can. We are pulling out all the stops knowing that there is little time left. We have, uh, we don't suffer fools either. I will say that right now we don't suffer fools, nor will we. It's past time. If, if you're not on the, the, if you're not on the train, you know, it's, it's really simple. You lead, you follow, or get out of the way. We, um, we, we've chosen to lead. And, uh, you know, we appreciate each and every one of you 
who are with us, next to us, standing with us, supporting us through your word-of-mouth support, through your financial support, which is so much needed. And we thank you for that. We thank you. And, And if that's not possible, that's okay. We thank you for just being there, because that's a big part of it as well. You know, life has its way. That doesn't, I've just kind of, oh, I don't know, throwing throwing its sucker punches at you once in a while. It does. But God is good, and um, that's what it's all about at the end of the day, isn't it? It's about God. It's about family. It's about uh, fellowship. And, And I just, again, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank everyone who has stood by us all of these years. Before we get to Chad from Indiana, you remember that? Remember those days? Chad from Indiana is on. Oh, back in the day. We have Chad from Indiana on. But before we get to Chad, Father's Day, this Sunday, to to the people out there, to, to the children out there, what have you gotten your dad for Father's Day? Have you, have you, have you gotten him anything? If not, may I strongly suggest Omaha Steaks. Get your dad something he will love this Father's Day. And, well, that's what I, I told my, my son, my daughter. I said, hey, Omaha Steaks. So I expect to see a package anytime now. It's fun to get Omaha Steaks. Oh, it's in the mail. Uh, doggone right. And I got one last year. A package from Omaha Steaks, the absolute best. As a matter of fact, that Friday, I got, got the Omaha Steaks package Friday. Sunday, we had just the best steaks on the grill. Folks, we have the perfect Father's Day gift. Let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and how this Father's Day, for just forty nine ninety nine, you can get our limited time Father's Day package when you go to omahasteaks.com and enter HH in the search bar to apply the savings. Look, they've got the best cuts of beef. They have bison from the Golden Plains. They've got seafood. They've got all sorts of things. Vegetables. They'll even uh, give you the option to customize cuts for your dad. How, how about that? The highest quality cuts, one of a kind flavor. It, the process is so convenient. Let me tell you about right now. Omaha Steaks is giving each one of us to you a limited time offer to, to the listeners of the Hagman and Hagman Report this Father's Day. This is a really amazing deal. You're going to get 80% off of Omaha Steaks Father's Day package, which includes, now let me list the items here because you're not going to believe this. Uh, two tender, very mild filet mignons. Oh, are they tremendous. Two bold, beefy top sirloins. Four crispy chicken fried steaks. Four juicy boneless pork chops. Four all-beef Omaha steak burgers. Oh, man, they just melt in your mouth. Four award-winning gourmet jumbo franks. Twelve ounces of all-beef meatballs. One pound of steakhouse fries. Four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets. You're going to be ordering more of those, I can tell you that right now. One Omaha steak seasoning packet. That makes it all just so great. Plus, get a four, get four additional burgers free. All of this, all of this, 
for this limited time, this limited time package for only forty nine ninety nine. When you go to OmahaSteaks.com, type HH in the search bar and add Father's Day package to your cart. Don't wait. This offer is going to end soon. And by the way, Father's Day, this Sunday, don't wait. Do it today. Go to OmahaSteaks.com, type HH in the search bar and grab your dad and fire up that grill. Just one last one last word on that. When we went to Montana uh, three years ago, I tried my first bison burger. That was an awesome burger, and I just heard you mention the bison there. I tried, you know what? I'm about to I, make a note to, I to tried try bison. some of that. Yeah. Get some from Omaha. I, I tried their bison, and I've never had it before. And I'll tell you something, I, it, it's, it's fantastic. And, and my neighbor fixed bison from a local, he goes to, you know where he goes, and I, I won't mention the store name. But what a difference. It's uh, the it quality. It's pretty good. Yeah. All right. Without any uh, further ramblings, we have Chad Schaefer. Chad. Chad from Indiana. Now. Hello, uh, guys. Hey. hey, Chad. How are you doing? <laughs> wow. It's, 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 am- Joe and I were talking. It's amazing to hear you coming, coming as a guest. On our program, when we remember and we were talking about you being a caller and a very articulate caller, but now as a guest, you are the author of The World in the Bondage of Egypt Under the Triumphal Arch of Titus. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I tell you, it's, uh, you're, you're right. Uh, three or four years ago, I, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm struggling with a mixture of emotions. This really feels like a, homecoming to me uh, to be on your show tonight from all those years ago when I would just, uh, you know, be sitting in my office and reading and writing or studying that and have the Hagman program on in the background and listening. And every now and then you guys would run across something that had been on my mind. And, you know, the first and only ever radio show I ever thought that, you know, was something that, that I can call into because you guys are, I think back then you were just on the Block Talk radio platform, and there were maybe a couple dozen people at the most we had that called in, and you know it just felt like family, and it still does. And I was just looking at your platform and the number of people you guys are reaching today, and I'm just, I'm, it's really quite astounding and, and well deserved too. I mean, you guys are exposing a lot of things today, and you know back then I never thought in, in a million years that four years or five years from then. Set me on your program as a as a guest either. So, it, you know, it seems like forever ago, does it not? I mean, a lifetime ago, just three or four years ago, and I felt like I've lived a lifetime. Well, you know, uh, Chad, it doesn't. It doesn't. Sometimes remembering things from back then, you know, at the beginning of the show and in those first few years, it, it can seem like yesterday. And then other times, you know, when you, I guess, when you look at it from a different perspective, it seems like forever ago. And I mean, I remember yeah. working the the blog talk board and. And uh, seeing the names pop up, and when we had semi-regular callers, I would keep track. So when the numbers popped up, I could put the names in, in instead uh-huh. of the numbers, so both my father and I can see them. And I can still, uh, I, I can still picture, you know. And I still remember taking, taking your calls. And we had a uh, back when we did the blog talk shows when we when we started, we'd have uh, a lot more time. We didn't bring on as many guests, and, sure. and we'd have a lot more time to talk and a lot more calls. And I remember we had an, a number of regular callers there for for a long time, and and those callers made the show strong, uh, just as much as us, you know, talking and, and and doing doing our thing. 
But yeah. you know, when I when I sent you the book and put chats in Indiana, I, I, I wasn't sure if that would ring any bells for you guys then or not. Uh, but uh, I listened to your show last night, and my good friend John Haller, who you had on, and what a great guy, huh? Uh, oh yeah, he's he is fantastic. smart guy, and I I get to talk to him and a group of other guys, Doug Krieger, my co-author and publisher for the book. You know, uh, on a routine basis now, and it, it's really a surreal feeling uh, to see all these people I I looked up to then now, and I can call them, uh, you know, I can call them friends and, and get to talk to them and pick their brains on a regular basis. You know, a lot of other people don't, but. You know, I could ramble yeah. on about that all day. I don't want to take up that time talking about that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I wrote well, a book. First I, want, uh, I want to thank you for, for sending us the book. I, I sent Doug a thank you, and then he sent a message back saying, I think he forwarded that to you, and he sent a message back saying, you're, you're the one that sent it. And yeah. I, I've only read the first two chapters. I kind of got sidetracked, and I haven't picked it back up yet. But uh, it's it's... It's a very fascinating book so far, and, and it's it's uh, right up my alley. I love these these books, uh, these kind of books, and there are some good ones out there. Now this one's a little bit different because uh, you you go back to to Egypt, and uh, and from what I read, you dig into you know the archaeology, the history. Uh, why don't you explain a little bit about what what uh, led you down the path to to write this book? Well, it really, uh, it started with a, a few people. Uh, the, the first person would be Doug Krieger, um, my co-author and publisher. Uh, I had read his books and been fascinated by the things that he had spoke about. And of course, you guys uh, had him on with uh, Doug Word, Word and uh, Dean McGriff back when he had published his uh, book, the, the Final Babylon, with them. And uh, just reading that information in. You know, just in personal research and uh, through the Bible, I was born and raised in church, but just their perspectives on uh, not just the, the biblical perspective, but the cultural perspective of uh, what has got us to the world that we're in today, what what has brought about all these things that we see now exploding on the face of the earth. And then just personal questions that I had, uh, you know, about history. And, you know, there's a quote from uh, Truman, uh, one of our former president, says the only thing new in the world is the history you didn't know. And it's just really another way of stating that versus in Ecclesiastes, that there's nothing new under the sun. And so understanding that and knowing that, it just, I ran across pieces of information and listening to them and reading the material and listening to other guests that you've had on your program somewhere along the line, and I can't pinpoint the date. I ran across uh, information where history and what I found in the Bible collided. And, it, and of course, it surrounds just what the topic uh, of the Bible is, or to topic of the book is about the Arch of Titus. Uh, this monument I ran across uh, is unique uh, in that it is a monument that was set up, and, that, and sometimes we don't think of uh, things in these terms, it was set up as a direct result of prophecy and scripture being fulfilled. Now, those who are Bible students know how many multiple times throughout the Old Testament scriptures it talks uh, to the, when he's, uh, God is talking to the children of Israel, it says, don't set up monuments, don't make them, don't make these things, these idols, these homes totems, you're not to do this, you're not to learn the ways of the heathen. And then Paul later tells us in the New Testament that the reason for that is not that these pillars are 
pieces of wood or totems or anything mean anything, but it's the spiritual entities, it's the archons behind them that speak through them. And so the question has to be asked, well, if they're speaking and saying, what are they saying? And then if the world, Rome, set up this monument as a direct result of prophecy being fulfilled, what is being said by it? What is the iconography? What, what does it, what's the statement there? And it's really at that that just really unlocked just a flood of information that just for me and for those who have already read the book and, and have talked to you about it, just it, it, it's a massive amount of information that just brings a lot of sense to some of those scriptures that really were difficult to understand could now be easily understood. You know, I could, I could lead off by saying, you know, is America uh, spoken about in the scriptures? Uh, big topics like that, you know, big bang for your butt type topics. Uh, with the last 2,000 years, prophecy in scripture, you know, what is our place to it? And, and the answer is to yes to those. And uh, in this book, I wrote about them, you know. So, you know, some of the topics I start out was who built the Ark of Titus and why? How does it represent the uh, fulfillment of biblical prophecy? How is the monument connected to Egypt? Uh, how is it connected to Jerusalem and the temple? What does the Ark of Titus have to do with the gospel? Does it, under, does it hold a key for understanding 2,000 years of history? And does it hold a key for us understanding the future fulfillment of prophecy? And we'll the biggest one, the, problem, the one we'll probably have uh, only have time to discuss tonight would be the first, uh, that, that last statement, and, and uh, that's fine, It's a, but the, there's a lot there, and I think uh, once people hear it, they're going to probably start wanting to go back and rethink a few things. <laughs> Well, one of the uh, one of the big issues that and I have to say this that when news of your coming on in the, in the name of your book, of course, uh, uh, with the, the one of the big questions we got, I got a lot of emails about this uh, connecting the recent arch uh, importation of the arches here. In the U.S., yeah, that, worldwide, yeah, that okay. Archibald, <laughs> yeah, you know right, that was right. that was an, <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're talking. The replica that was uh, was remade uh, out of after the ISIS had destroyed the the Archibald there in uh, Syria. Uh, that yeah, we got complex. a ton of emails. And, yeah, just a ton yeah. of emails saying, please, please make sure you ask them about uh, the, you know, what that, what that's all about. So I just want to toss that on the table uh, before we get too yeah. far down and, the and, uh, path. And, uh, Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely get to that. It, you know, what's so funny is that Doug and I, uh, Krieger, we didn't realize that this book would be so prescient. We we were actually getting ready to publish the book uh, when that news broke. And, uh, you know, I think we sent a, each of us sent two or three emails back and forth and we're writing each other's phones up when that news story broke about that happening. <laughs> Can you believe this? Can you believe this? It's like, it's crazy. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'll try to get to that maybe here at the end. Uh, just remind me, you know, when we're getting close to the end and I'll, I'll tie that into, uh, how it's connected and really the symbology because I think it's actually, uh, there is a little bit of confusion about that. It is called the Arch of Ball uh, because it was in the Ball complex, but it's actually not the Arch of Ball. The Arch of Ball that 
was not replicated is still there is the one that was the entry into the temple. The one that was actually replicated and is being carried around to all the big uh, gatherings of the uh, government leaders and, and such is the Arch of Severus. And you say, oh, what's a big deal, the Arch is an Arch? Well, there there is a distinction in uh, both how they're constructed, uh, how they're constructed, and then, of course, I, I think once we talk about the Arch of Titus and you see that its style is the Romanized style uh, in really how that's connected to Egypt, uh, I, I think you'll see the distinction, and it'll probably have a greater impact on what people think about it and how they see it uh, versus even what they may already see now. Uh, the, I'll mention this real briefly before we go on to the Arch of Titus, but the important thing to remember is is that that Arch of uh, Severus that was there at the ball complex actually existed at the end of the colonnade, which was an entry into the sacred space of the temple area. So you actually walked down a colonnade past through this Arch of Severus to enter the temple area before passing through the Arch of Ball into the temple itself. So that's just a key point to remember uh, spiritually the significance of that, you know, before we get to that at the end of the show uh, here perhaps tonight. But, um, yeah, we'll definitely touch on that. But that's a key point right. to remember. You know, so, you know, why, why is yeah. the Arch of Titus, uh, you know, so important or, or why does it have any significance and you know the first thing we have to understand is that it was set up as a direct result of prophecy being fulfilled uh, many who are prophecy students or uh, prophecies of eschatology the study of prophecy are very familiar with those touchstone verses of Matthew 24 Luke 21 and Mark 13 where Jesus is preparing the disciples for the coming destruction of Jerusalem, which took place in 70 A.D. But what is forgotten, and even in commentary going back the past couple hundred years, you'll find rarely people have written about it, but that the prophecy of that fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. was actually made back in Deuteronomy. It was back in uh, Deuteronomy uh, 26 and uh, 58 and 68, uh, 52 through 68, all through there, 26, 27, 28, 29, Deuteronomy. And these were the curses. It's the summary of the curses. If those who are students of the Bible remember, again, Deuteronomy, it lays out all the blessings that will come upon Israel for being obedient and following his instructions and his commands and heeding his commands. And then it put in direct opposition to each of the blessings, line by line, the curses. At the end of laying out the blessings and laying out the curses, he, the, the scripture summarizes just what those curses will look like when they comes upon him. And you get to the end, and after all the destruction is read of, of what, this future fulfillment, he says, and you will be taken back again by ship to Egypt. And again, we, those students of history and of Bible prophecy, you'll have to ask yourself, well, when did that happen? When, when did Israel go into Egypt? And, uh, well, of course, we know of Babylon. We know of the captivity of Babylon, but when did that happen in Egypt? Well, that, that happened in 70 AD when Rome uh, conquered Jerusalem. They were already occupied, but the, the rebellion was put down, and it was overthrown. The temple was thrown down, and the, and the city was thrown down. It was laid waste to but what the connection here has to be seen as is those scriptures as it directly relates to Deuteronomy. 
the blessings that came upon him were given were given to them as they came out of Egypt, out from underneath the gods of Egypt, out from beneath the rule of Egypt, out from underneath the bondage of Egypt. As they came out, the blessing was on them coming in to and under God, under Yahweh, in his instruction. So seeing that the blessings were the natural result of coming into his presence and under his, his rule, then the opposite is true. Coming out from under his blessings, his instructions, his rule, was going back into the curses. So when you understand that as it relates to the Exodus, I started looking at the information, the history surrounding just what happened. What are the details? What actually took place? What's the Hagman and Hagman report on those events as they took place, right? I wanted to know the day-to-day. And I found an astounding, uh, just an an astounding amount of things that move well beyond the statistical probabilities of what could be explained, wherein it shows an actual reverses, uh, reversal of the exodus taking place. One of the first things that showed a reversal or an undoing of uh, this exodus was the fact that uh, those, again, Bible students will remember that Passover was instituted first in Egypt, during that time of the Exodus, at the end of the plague, it protected the firstborn of anybody who put the blood on the on the arch over the door. It protected their firstborn children from suffering death. Anybody who did not obey and did not do this, their sons died. This was the institution of Passover that took place just prior to the Exodus. Well, here in 70 A.D. now, Thousands of years later, at the fall of 70 A.D., what date was it or what time was it that uh, Titus and the uh, legions that marched upon Jerusalem, what time was it that they did so? Passover. On Passover, they had began their siege upon Jerusalem. That very institution of Passover, which first saved the people of Israel from their death, now drew them to, to their death. Passover was a required that all the people, all the children, all the nations would go to Jerusalem to give to make their sacrifices. And so here this you have this phenomenal event take place of Passover which first protected them from death, now drew them to their death. It says in Josephus that uh, it's testified that the Romans and all their conquerings never took so large a city with so many people in it as it did that siege. So that's one thing. The second thing is uh, that I can mention, we all know, the, again, this is basic Bible history. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to know this, that there were two crossings as the people came out of uh, Egypt. First, they crossed the Red Sea into the uh, wilderness, into the desert, and then 40 years later, they crossed the Jordan into Canaan. Well, just as there were two crossings going into the Promised Land of Israel, there were two crossings at the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Judah, Benjamin, and uh, some of the Levites were the only tribes there. The northern ten tribes had already been divorced and had already been scattered by the Assyrians. So now, and that's a major point of this, we're not going to get to tonight, but only Judah was present. But after they were conquered, after this whole thing was done and over, Titus took the strong, the, the still living, strongest men available on boats, by ship, back 
down to Egypt, over the Mediterranean, to dispatch two legions, the 5th and the 15th, back to their posts in Egypt. And then they crossed water again back into Rome. So now here again is the second aspect we see of the Exodus being reversed. And two crossings going out, two crossings going back. You say, well, wait a second, that's only one crossing. They went down to into Egypt was once and back into Rome. Chad, well, let's stop that's there. We're, we're right yeah. on the, we're right up against the break. So when we, when we come back, we'll pick up, uh, you were just talking about the, the two crossings that the Israelis had to do when coming out of Egypt. And we're talking with Chad Schaefer, his book, The World in the Bondage of Egypt under the Triumphal Arc of Titus. Former caller Chad from Indiana, Chad Schaefer, author. We'll be right back with him after these short messages. Don't go anywhere. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you could possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Eric's a, It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family, masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Training Close in the Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to 18 major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We're offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Army's kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Journeys kit at www.changelessandwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. 
donations, you can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. and Hagman report taking no prisoners <laughs> taking our enemies by storm holding off the uh, uh, our enemies uh, uh, frankly giving them a run for their money not taking not suffering fools getting the truth out there where it needs to be bringing to you the best, I believe the best of the best, through the efforts of John Robertson, the tireless efforts of John Robertson, who's out there just uh, really doing a great job with respect to, to the guests that, that are coming on, uh, to bring you what's important, topical, and he's doing a great job. But throwing down the gauntlet, no more. A notice to the pedophilia camp out there, to, to those who who delight in perversity, you are on our radar. Notice to the Muslims out there who have declared war upon us, you are on our radar. Notice to the politicians who pervert the Constitution, our freedoms, you are on our radar. We are not going to stop. We're not going to back down. We're going to double down. Those people who want to shut us down, good luck with that, because we are locked and loaded. You know, one of the uh, delights that I have is to sit down with my family and talk during meals, actually fix meals with my family. Let me tell you about a great meal delivery service. Hello Fresh. It is the leading meal delivery kit service. They make cooking so much fun. They focus on the whole experience, not just the final plate. That's Hello Fresh. They like to think of themselves as a farm to box company because they want everyone to have access to fresh ingredients that inspire great meals. They don't stop there. They're also a couch to kitchen company because the best way to kick those 5 p.m. excuses if you work that day job is by feeling unstoppable in the kitchen. They do even more than that. HelloFresh. They're proud to be a fork to feel Good company. Dr. Ted Brower talks about eating well, eating clean. With HelloFresh, you've got just that. Because when you cook and eat delicious and healthy meals, you want to keep doing it again and again and again. Oh, it's fantastic. If HelloFresh could do the dishes for you, they would. 
but their number one priority, of course, is to get you cooking. Now, HelloFresh currently offers customers a classic box, a veggie box, and a family box. Customers can order three, four, or five different meals per week designed for either two or four people. New recipes are created every week. Their recipes will make you feel unstoppable. Your taste buds will thank you. They've got the the freshest ingredients in a meal kit delivery service. They've got the best tasting recipes. They're printed on these great cards and they're easy to follow, but we keep them and refer to them often. In six easy to master steps, HelloFresh Fresh gets you chopping, zesting, and cooking like like a natural. Because most of their recipes take just 30 minutes, require minimal equipment, they do it all for you. There's no, virtually no waste. They are constantly experimenting in the kitchen to let fresh natural ingredients shine. They offer ever-changing menus, classic ingredients in a new light, and easy-to-follow recipes to help you avoid that food coma and feel good inside and out. And that is, that's the ticket, folks. It's fun to cook with your wife or your husband or, or your family, however you decide to do it. HelloFresh is the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking more fun so you can focus on the whole experience, not just the final plate. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes or so. They offer, well, they employ two full-time registered dietitians on staff who review each recipe to ensure that it's nutritionally balanced. And you know what? You know what the great part is? The end result is less than $10 a meal. Seriously. You can't beat that. We've used this service even before they became our sponsors. We use it today. In fact, yesterday, or, uh, yeah, it was yesterday. My, my daughter and I cooked a meal up for my wife using HelloFresh. It was just fantastic. Now, here's what you need to do. You go to, go to the website. Just go to HagmanReport.com and click on the link to HelloFresh or go to HelloFresh.com and use our unique promo code, Hagman30, for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. Visit HelloFresh.com and enter Hagman30. You've got to do that. That is a fantastic offer. One more time. $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. Visit HelloFresh.com and enter Hagman30. Hagman30 for $30 off. You won't be sorry. You're going to be thanking me and telling me just how great of an experience you've had with HelloFresh.com. And again, our promo code is Hagman30. Our guest this hour is Chad Schaefer. The book is The World in the Bondage of Egypt. Chad, before the break, we were talking about the uh, Israel, uh, Israel is coming out of Egypt and the two crossings that they, that they went through where many just remember, uh, the one crossing. Where do you want to pick up in this, in this segment, Chad? Well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about why that's significant and why it's important. Um, you know, we're, we're familiar with the fall of Jerusalem by Romans 70 AD, but what we, we have tend to forgot about history is that prior to, uh, Rome's conquering of Israel, they had conquered Egypt. And we understand this and we know this from history, 
but we seem to forget it. It's in one of those details that doesn't just seem to stick with us. We miss out is that whenever a land was conquered, it was incorporated to the new land. They became one country. I mean, we know this of the United States. You know, Hawaii is not connected to us by any land, and yet the president of that land of the United States is the same president of the one of the continental United States here. They inherit the title. So prior to the conquering of Jerusalem, Rome had conquered Egypt. They had installed leaders locally there who were worshipped in the same fashion prior to that by their culture as pharaohs. So not only did the emperor of Rome inherit the land in rulership, but he also inherited the title. He was the supreme pharaoh of the land. And so Egypt and Rome, spiritually speaking, were one in the same country. And so this two crossings of significance, because yes, they physically went down into Egypt when they dispatched the the uh, different uh, fifth and the tenth legions back to their post there. But when they crossed back into it, they went back to the spiritual seat of Egypt, where the spiritual leader of Egypt sat, who was worshipped of God in Rome. It was Augustus, who Caesar, who first instituted the Roman, the same style of worship that these godmen, that the rulers were worshipped as God. He annexed uh, Egypt. And then it was remarkably Titus who led the conquering. He was made emperor later while he was down in Egypt. So again, all these things, the, the, the statistical probabilities of these things being accidental is just beyond number. But, but that's not the only thing that shows us that this entire reversal of the Exodus took place and it was made solid in the image and this imagery was built for that purpose to display this return into Egypt, to represent Egypt in its, uh, in its return. The gold, uh, those again familiar with the basic story of uh, the Exodus will remember that in their leaving of, uh, out of uh, the land of Egypt, that they plundered the Egyptians. In other words, all the gold and all the silver was given to the children of Israel. At that point, by the end of the plagues, they were just ready for them to get gone. Here, take whatever you want, just go. We're tired of (laughs) the stuff that's come upon our land is enough. Get out of here. And they gave them their silver and gold. You know, Joe, have you ever stopped to wonder why, you know, and I know I do all the time. Sometimes you stop and wonder about why does the Bible go into such detail about this. Why, why do I care about how much gold or why is it detailed there? I, that, that's one of the All questions the that, you know, it just scratches like, you know, I know this has got to be important, but I have no clue why it should be. And, and there's kind of two sides to that. And I don't even know where to begin. There's two sides to that. Because you, you have issues where you, you read in such detail. Um, I mean, some things like the in, in the beginning of Matthew, the genealogy, uh, that's very right. important. But the the issues you're talking about, uh, you know, like how much gold and this and that, some of the details you wonder, you know, why is this in there? And then other times you look and, and you are wondering why there isn't more detail to certain stories, but that's neither here nor there. Well, yeah, no, but you're absolutely right. Well, here's one of those things I think it's going to be clear up, and I think this is going to really probably blow people's minds. They're going to just really blown away when they think about this. The Bible chronicles for us this plunder. 
it was taken with the Israelites into the wilderness. Much of that gold was then collected by Moses and used to make the temple implements, the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, the the fire pans, the candle obras, and the lampstands. All that gold and all that silver was used to make those implements It in the tabernacle in the wilderness. After having conquered the land of Canaan, those implements were taken from the temporary tabernacle and placed into the Temple of Solomon. It was later sacked by Nebuchadnezzar II, the, the southern tribe of Judah, who was in Jerusalem at that time, was sacked by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. That gold was chronicled for us as being taken into Babylon and then placed into the vaults of Nebuchadnezzar. If you, those who are familiar with their scriptures will remember it actually that Nebuchadnezzar actually had the temple implements and was using it for his party the very night that the, the hand appeared uh, in the room and wrote that many, many tekel upasan on the wall. They were using that to party the very night he was, it was prophesied that Babylon would fall that day. Well, the scriptures in Chronicles for us that that gold was then again taken back and placed into the second temple. And it suffered some losses, uh, you know, during that time. Some of the Maccabees came during in the middle of that time and took some of the gold. But always the Bible chronicles for us in history, chronicles for us that that gold which made up the holies of holies, that which was in the holy sanctum, the most inner place of the temple, remained for the most part intact. It was that very same gold then that was became melted down when the temple was destroyed and it was burned to the ground and melted. It was that very same gold that Titus took back with them into Rome. And so here you have that very same gold that came with them out of Egypt thousands of years before was not just any gold, but the very same gold that went back with them when when Titus destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. Not only this, but after they had been gathered, after they had returned, and they made this, getting ready to do this processional, as it was custom of uh, peoples of ancient times to do, they would parade the slaves and the king or whatever through the city in triumph. That was emblazoned. It's on the cover of the book, uh, too, as well. There was a panel relief that emblazoned this, how the temple treasure is made prominent there, the bread pan, the, the trumpets, and all that, and the slaves being marched. Well, they made this processional. They made actual replicas of the city and the sanctuary, huge replicas that took multiple men and carts to carry of the uh, Jerusalem and the city and the temple of the different buildings there and were paraded. But the very night before this parade was to take place, and, you know, Rome had a multitude. They have a pantheon of gods. They got Jupiter, Mars, you know, you, you name it, they got a god for it, right? Well, out of all the temples that they could have stayed at the night before, what temple did they stay in but the temple of Isis? And this is all chronicled in worse than Josephus and other histories. They, did, they stayed in the temple of Isis, an Egyptian god, where they paid homage and sacrifices the day before this parade was to take place. You know, at some point you got to stop and think, you know what, that, that, this just can't be a coincidence. All these things cannot simply be coincidence. It stands in antithesis, 
as an exact opposite, a complete undoing of the Exodus. After years and years of patience from God, years and years of pleading with them, hundreds of years, thousands of years pleading with them, beg, beg, not begging them, but just pleading with them to return to him, to return to his ways, to return to his protection. He had finally given them over to the adversary, and all those blessings were chronicled for us both in the scripture and history that it wasn't just a return but a complete undoing in exact opposition to the exodus I mean you just can't make this stuff up that arch of Titus was erected for the very purpose of displaying Egypt the thing of it is and the other thing or remarkable thing of it is is that triumphal arch of Titus is still standing it's still there. For 2,000 years it has stood. And this is the image, the, the fullness of what this thing has been staying for 2,000 years that we haven't been able to see. You know, you guys spend a lot of time, and I love this. Anybody who's on the side of truth and exposing things, you know, exposing the darkness in this world, uh, the, the things that, you know, men and women uh, with any evil intent would like to keep hidden and from the public eye. Here is an object and an image in our very day, and I, and I don't believe this because uh, I'm so smart or because, and Doug doesn't believe it because he's so smart, but he is genius. It's because of the day we're in. I, we believe that God is exposing these things because of the day we're in. He's not allowing those things that uh, men and women have hidden throughout history in the darkness and kept dark. Our Father's not allowing those things to remain hidden anymore. He's exposing them. And this is one of them. We, we feel like this is one of those things that's remained hidden from sight for 2,000 years. And then I'll, I'll make this next statement, and people will be familiar with it or will immediately recognize it. But what it is is that the Arch of Titus was not the only arch to be built. Every successive kingdom under successive conquering, the first thing they did is to begin to build an arch. Not just an arch, but they replicated it after the Arch of Titus. So now, well, over 2,000 years... Go ahead. Well, why would they do that, Chad? Why would they do that? Because the first part is, and, and this is the part we wouldn't get, uh, we wouldn't really fully understand, but it has everything to do with the gospel and the promises made that uh, Abraham, the very first promises is that in you and through you, all the world would be blessed. The end of chapter, uh, book of uh, Romans, uh, chapter 11, Paul tells us that all would be made guilty so that all might be shown mercy. So we have those two things, uh, those two verses. But uh, all of that can be hard to miss, uh, miss and understand. If you don't understand the very first thing that I mentioned, when we open the broadcast tonight, is that that promise that Israel would be returned to Egypt by ship was made to all 12 tribes. All 12 tribes of Israel were present when that promise was made. At the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, only two predominant tribes were present, or who could call themselves tribes, Judah and Benjamin and Levi. All the other 10 tribes predominantly had already been scattered and divorced by God in the scriptures.
registry and you can go through and, and I chronicle that in the book. He had already been divorced uh, that Northern Hat and scattered into all nations. Since that promise had been made by God to all 12 tribes that they would return into Egypt, and since only Judah and Benjamin were present at the fall of 70 AD and returned to Egypt, if, if they could not be physically present to go to Egypt, then Egypt would come to them. Spiritually speaking, in the semblance and the representation of this arch, it is representative of Egypt overcoming the world, hence the title of the book, The World and the Bondage of Egypt. You now have the successive kingdom of uh, Napoleon, who conquered uh, those who were history students will remember his campaign uh, out of France and he, his uh, tremendous as he began conquering the world and, and large populations of the world and anybody who takes the time to look at the amount of land that he conquered is just mm-hmm. a vast vast amount of land and countries that he conquered but of all the places to begin his campaign to begin this campaign when he first set out to begin conquering other lands and in Napoleon do you know where he went first? Egypt, Israel, and Assyria. Alexandria, to be specific. The very first campaign was Alexandria, Egypt. And all that knowledge that came out with them to the rest of the world. This is where we got the Rosetta Stone. Many of you are familiar with the Rosetta Stone. That was as a result of Napoleon's conquering of Egypt. That artifact was found, which allowed us to translate the Egyptian hieroglyphs into all the information. So... But I mean, you think about logistically where France is in comparison to the rest of the world. I mean, you know, I'm, I know, I'm no general, I'm no brilliant guy, but I mean, it just makes sense to me that if you're going to begin conquering places, you're going to be conquering those lands that are immediately around you. No, no. <laughs> they sailed down into Egypt and Israel and Assyria to begin the campaign. Why? So that he would become the next successor in the line of conquering kings. Why? I'm, there's no explanation for it unless you understand. It, it makes no sense in, le- in light unless you look at it in light of the Scripture. In light of Israel has been central to the world's history from the time immemorial. Well, you're exactly right with that point. And just last week, I was reading about the French Revolution, which led me to a few uh, pages of, of information about Napoleon that I had never read before. And some of it was speculative, speculative, some of it has been documented. But there is some, some, uh, spiritual phenomena surrounding Napoleon. And it might, you know, be mm-hmm. as to what helped him lay out, you know, the strategy of when and where and how he was going to go about conquering. Some people, Absolutely. some articles say Absolutely. that it was, was it was alien encounters. The, the hidden hand, his right hand man, no pun intended there. But absolutely right. I document in the, in the book, uh, those things. Uh, there, but see here, it's a successive kingdom. The first thing he does is he builds the Ark of Triumph to commemorate the, the, the victory there. Each successive kingdom after France, Prussia, uh, Bulgaria, which now, you know, parts of Germany, all many of these smaller uh, nation states then that were at the time of Napoleon have now come under one banner of Germany. This is they do in a lot of other places. Those places when Napoleon was crushed and defeated. Russia, the first thing they did in the defeating of uh, Napoleon was to build this triumphal arch. 
And this image then has replicated itself throughout, not just by any means, but by through successive conquerings. There is a rule and a law that has to, that is spiritually in place that allows for the establishment of these things. And so when you understand that it just doesn't mean anything, that there's more to it than what we have known it to mean, and when you stop and think that these were built by successive kingdoms, and that it is representative of Egypt, because all of them, you can read this on Wikipedia, say in their histories that they modeled them after the triumphal arch of Titus. That's it, it just it, It's, it's mind-boggling how the world history, who would have no desire to prove the scriptures true, continued to follow the patterns and fulfill scripture. So since all the children of Israel were not present at the fall in 70 AD and could not go into Egypt, then Egypt would come to them. We can now make sense of those scriptures, like in Revelation it says, uh, that city, uh, Jerusalem, where our Lord was crucified, which is spiritually called Egypt and Sodom. Well, I mean, it's good enough for me, you know, that the Bible says it, but sometimes you don't understand why the scripture says those things. Well, when you understand that spiritually speaking, Spiritually, the Pharaoh was over the land of Egypt prior to the conquering of Jerusalem, and that Jerusalem, spiritually speaking, became one and the same land, then you can have a place in the world. I can understand what that means. Why is it do we see in Revelation those, those same plagues that we see taking place at the end of Revelation are the, some of the very same plagues which took place in Egypt prior to the Exodus. That's a great great point. Covering, coming upon the whole world. Well, they can't just arbitrarily take place. They, the, there's a reason for them. The reason for it is because, uh, you know, uh, those same gods, and you can read this in the scriptures as well, that those plagues happened not just as random plagues, but they were directed against the gods that were worshipped in Egypt. And so... Understanding then that the whole world has come under the bondage of Egypt and seeing then a future fulfillment of those plagues coming upon the world, well, now you can understand why. It's not just random things. Those very same gods that were mocked in Egypt now preside over the whole world. Anywhere that image is erected, anywhere it stands, it and doesn't Jack, matter the type of government. We're going to have to have you back because we're, you know, we see this, these things wanting to be erected in the U.S. We only have about 25 seconds left. Where can people get your book? Uh, you can get it at thearchesofegypt.com. You can go to chadshafer.com, C-H-A-D-S-C-H-A-F-E-R. Uh, if people can get the book there, they can find it on Amazon. If you go to my website, it's autographed. Use the, uh, the, the promo code HAGMAN, H-A-G-M-A-N-N. You'll get a discount uh, from me. You can buy it directly from me. You can get it on Amazon. I'll be at the Prophecy Com- Conference uh, announced last night, DenverProphecyConference.com, and uh, one in uh, September, uh, uh, Take on the World Conference in Cleveland, Ohio. All that can be found on my website. Chad, we got to run. Thank you so much. Thanks, we will bro. talk again soon. You have a great night. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Appreciate yeah. it. Well, it was fun. We'll be right back, folks.
Before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. And as the darkness falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the Creator to His creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high net worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stain by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood. That's HagmanReport.com, Hagman and Hagman.com, and of course HomelandSecurityUS.com, all three websites. Follow us as well on social networking, Hagman Report on Twitter, Hagman PI, that's me on Twitter, of course Douglas.Hagman on Facebook, and uh, Hagman uh, Report on Facebook as well. Just want to say thank you to everyone for your support, your belief and trust in us as we take on the elements of the globalist agenda the elements of the new world order thank you so very much and part of that fight is of course spiritual in nature a good part of it is spiritual in nature and that is why 
we turn to people like uh, Pastor David Langford, the voice of evangelism, and of course for for his spiritual insight before we get to Pastor Langford. T.C. Joseph, this generation series of novels, do you have them yet, folks? If not, grab them. Hey, these make a good Father's Day gift, too. Uh, in a thr- very thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families in the world where conspiracy theories and Bible prophecies collide. Blue, Blue Ink, uh, Kirkus Reviews, fantastic reviews. All three books, actually. Book one is Presbyterian, book two is Pentecost, and book three, of course, is Penance. We have all three like them. We use them as tools to wake up the masses for those who don't want to read fact but want the things fictionalized. This generation series of novels by T.C. Joseph. Fantastic, fantastic set of uh, novels. And before we get to, to Pastor David Langford, I just want to take a few minutes uh, uh, Trading Post in the Woods, Evans all from Trading Post in the Woods, and and John Robertson and myself each Wednesday we were going to do a, a piece on some of the the homeopathic remedies and uh, some of the simple survivals American American Heritage Remedies Kit offered by Trading Post in the Woods. We were going to showcase um, one of the the twelve remedies that are that are in there each week, and we didn't have time today. But I want to just uh, talk about a few of them. I know John mentioned this last week with Eve, I believe it was last week, about the stress and panic remedy that is in their in their kit, as well as... Just give me one of those with a straw. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people will... We see a lot of uh, problems with depression and anxiety in today's society. We have a record number of, record number of people on medications that are prescribed by psychiatrists. And, you know, I, I've heard some people uh, talk about this from people who have uh, degrees in, in this field and talk about it from a perspective that not all people need to be medicated. And oftentimes the medication that we receive is, is harmful. But the, the stress and panic um, remedy alone is very helpful. You, you put a few drops under your tongue and it has natural ingredients. Um, and all the, the information can be found on tradingpostinthewoods.com. But it, it really does help. And, and what Eve has done is put together these natural remedies in, in dropper bottles and you can, you drop them in your mouth. The other one that works real good that my wife has liked a lot is inflammation. Uh, my wife had worked as a, as a nurse for a number of years with the elderly, the Alzheimer's and had to, you know, get them fed and, and ready for bed. So she would have a lot of, of joint pain at the end of the day. And the inflammation, uh, it, it does help. She's trying a number of things from, from over-the-counter painkillers, uh, just to a whole different soaps and whatnot. But uh, the inflammation does work for her, and, and she absolutely loves it. Again, folks, go to tradingpostinthewoods.com. If you have any questions, all their information is there, email or phone call. Talk to Eve Gonzalez. And this is part of the American Heritage Remedies Kit that can be found on the website. And, uh, Eve, we want to thank you for putting together these fantastic products and she will be back on with us soon enough to talk about this more. Let's not waste any more time. Pastor David Langford is our guest, and it's another Wednesday. Pastor joins us each and every Wednesday in the third hour. What's on your mind this evening, Pastor? Well, I wanted to talk about a couple of articles I read this week regarding Christianity. The first article is uh, Gay Progressive Christians Are Destroying Christianity. It says Crystal Chetham 
who had grown up attending and singing at a Seventh-day Adventist church, was about to graduate from Andrews University in Barron Springs, Michigan, when she was warned that she couldn't be gay and Christian. However, instead of listening to both the Word of God and her church elders, she defied the authority of Scripture and proceeded to pull other believers down the very same path. Here's what she said. When I came out, I was told by ministers so far above me that I couldn't be an out lesbian and also be on the stage as a leader, and it crushed me. It crushed me so hard, she said. I felt like I was at an impasse at the road in my life, and I had to decide between this love for my God and my personal identity. Now, this is the nonsense that's taking place in Christianity. This is just another example and display of humanism totally destroying the church as we presently know it. Now, if you listen to what she said, she was at an impasse in her life because she had to decide between love for my God or my personal identity. Well, what she's doing is making herself a god. That is idolatry. She worships herself more than she worships God. She worships her lesbianism more than she worships God. Her lesbianism is far superior to the Word of God. So she chooses to take this path. And, of course, it obviously hurt the church, and she proceeded to pull other believers down the very same path. You see, that's why God gave us his word. That's the rule, the measurement, the increment that every one of us must abide by and go by. And so we're witnessing today a proliferation of, of people denying God's word and the authority that abides in his word. You know, that's why we have the word. It corrects us. It reproves us. It rebukes us. Whatever we have need of in our lives, it heals us, it mends our brokenness, it restores our hurts, and, and the way sometimes we have been injured by a person or a situation or circumstance, but that's the power that's in the Word of God. But see, the Bible is clear, and of course, these elders are using the Bible as their scriptural authority to deal with this sin. Now, there'll be those who'll say, well, the Bible doesn't address homosexuality. Well, in Romans 1 and 26, Paul said, For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use and that which is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. What that simply means is you contract HIV, you contract AIDS, that's your recompense, that's your reward for the error that you're living in. And then, of course, verse 28, the very renowned verse, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient or not right or lawful. God has given us his word. His word is clear. 
And he does address the sin of homosexuality in the Bible. Now, of course, there are those who are rewriting the Bible and taking out all of these verses that condemn sodomy. You know, uh, I might have shared with you some time ago, they've got the new Queen James Bible. It's a homosexual Bible because what people don't understand is these people are adamantly declaring, I'm a Christian. Well, you see, that offends me because somebody needs to help me to understand what's the difference in a lying Christian and a lying sinner. What's the difference in a fornicating sinner and a fornicating Christian? What's the difference in a drunkard sinner or a drunken Christian? You see, there is no difference. But somehow, these charlatans have come into the church, and Paul said they would come in stealthily. When Paul used that phrase in Galatians 2, they would come in privately. If you have a strong, exhaustive concordance, you can look it up just like I do. The word privately there in the Greek is stealthily. Well, we talk about the stealth bombers. They're undetectable. Well, these people come in to the church in a stealth-like manner, and they get in, they get their roots, and then they begin to coerce people into believing these lies. They, 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 this, this is all they are. They're just, they're just flat-out lies. And so what they're doing, they're destroying the very fiber of Christianity. I, I thought about today uh, Jesus in the 11th chapter of Matthew, verse 23. He said, And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Well, you know, if you read between the lines there, that's the destruction and the damnation of sodomy is hell. He was telling Capernaum, had Sodom and Gomorrah witnessed what you've witnessed, they would have remained to this day. What does that say? That says to me how more and more calloused people become. You know, I, I preach a message, Sodom had no Bible, yet God destroyed it. Sodom had no record of past judgment. There was no, nothing to tell them about the past judgment of God because there was nobody writing and telling about the Noahic flood to, to, to have told them what happened, what took place. They had no preachers, no public criers, anywhere in the streets crying against the sins of the people. Uh, they, they had no churches. They had no synagogues. They, they had no places of worship that we see anywhere in the Scriptures. We just see that Sodom and Gomorrah had wholly given themselves over to this very debased and despicable sin. And so then when true Christians stand up and say, this is wrong, you can't do this, then we're lambasted, we're castigated, because we're being judgmental. I'm telling you, we need to start looking at people and their fruit. Jesus said emphatically, you shall know them by their fruit. And so I can't imagine making such a statement as a professing Christian. I've got to choose between God and my sin. That, that's what this mm -hmm. person is saying. Jesus said in Luke nine twenty three. If any man 
will come after me. Let him deny himself. You see, she won't deny herself. She won't deny herself of her lust, of her greed, of her covetousness, of her sins. She will not deny herself. Jesus said, let him, let her deny herself, himself, and take up his or her cross daily and follow me. That means you have to crucify your flesh every day. Some days it's easier than others. Uh, some days it's very arduous. It's very difficult. Uh, I'm not always, uh, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm not always a 10 every morning I get up spiritually. Sometimes I feel like I'm about maybe a 2 if I'm lucky. But I've got to have faith in the Word of God and His Word abiding in me tells me, you can't go there. You can't do that. You can't say that. Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul makes it clear, you're never going to get out of this flesh. And the life which I now live in the flesh. Why was he able to succeed? Because he said, I am crucified with Christ. This young lady, she doesn't want to bear her cross. She doesn't want to go by the rules and the guidelines and the precepts and the commandments, the ordinances of God. She wants to go her own way. Listen to this uh, paragraph here. According to the 2014 Religious Landscape Study by the Pew Research Center, which surveyed 35,000 people who identified as LGBT and found that 48% of them identified as Christian, with the largest portions of that group identifying as Protestants, 29%, and Catholic, 17%. Now think about that. 35,000 people who identified as LGBT, 48% of them, half of them, said I'm a Christian. So my, 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 my emphasis tonight is, is very simple. Where does it stop? When does it stop? Where is the line drawn that says, you can't do that and remain a Christian? You cannot do that and retain your walk with God. You see, what she is saying is, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe the Bible is the literal word of God. And that's why it's called humanism. You see, she wants to maintain her own power over her own life when we are to be vessels for Christ. When we, when we give our lives to Christ, we become servants. Jesus in the garden, greatest display of a, of a servant. Not my will, but thine be done. So, you see, there are those today who are attacking the scriptures, and well, it's a mythological book, you know. Uh, men wrote this book, so that furthermore confuses the authority, or demeans the authority of the word of God. But the Bible gives us scripture, Second uh, Timothy three sixteen seventeen. Paul said, "All scripture, even every scripture, every psalm, everything, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, 
and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, that word perfect means mature, truly furnished unto all good works. So when I'm wrong, or Joe, you're wrong, or Doug, you're wrong, whoever's listening tonight, if you're wrong, the scriptures correct your error. Matthew twenty two twenty nine. Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures. Now, how could anybody in their right mind, she obviously has a college education, can read Romans 1 and say, I'm still a Christian. That's the perversion. You know, everything that God ever blessed man with, Satan came along and perverted it. Satan destroyed the first home, the first family. After the sin, the, the curse came upon all humanity. They were driven from the Garden of Eden, and Cain murdered Abel, and here we go. It's been an adulterous, murderous, sodomizing world ever since then. It's, I mean, it, it's just, and then God had the Noahic flood, the Noatian flood, whichever one you want to call it, in Genesis 6, and that still did not stop it. The earth was so corrupt, God said, i got to destroy it. And somehow, whether it was a repeat of the fallen angels sleeping again with the daughters of men and creating the giants, because we know that David killed Goliath, and uh, Goliath had five brothers, and King Og, I believe it's Deuteronomy 4, talked about how long his bed was, like 18 feet long, 9 feet wide. We have those dimensions in the Bible. So this obviously happened again. Um, so here's, here's what's happening to Christianity. We're coming to our own conclusion. You know, that's the theme, the motif in the book of Judges. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, I read, I believe it was yesterday, where a, a black male, he's, I think he's 18, declared himself transgender, and then he won two of the female uh, track events. Well, how do, you, how do you even let the guy participate? It, genetically, he's a man, but he yeah, says, I'm transgender. I'm sorry, we've go ahead. In, Did you say something, Joe? We've seen this in wrestling. We've seen this in the UFC. We've seen this with, uh, there was a weightlifting, uh, uh, a transgender weightlifting. Uh, a guy was a man, entered a woman's weightlifting competition in Canada, I believe, and won that. There are uh, a UFC in the women's division. There was a man who is now a woman who other women are refusing to fight because of the brutality of the first few fights he had. We have succumbed to PC run amok. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's destroying us. And, you know, our young people need boundaries. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't a, uh, uh, the best child in the world, you know, uh, but, but I had boundaries set on me, you know, and, and, and I, you know, I never once thought about crossing these boundaries into sodomy and things like that. Now, transgenderism. You know, the Bible, God made a man and God made a woman. He didn't make anything cross, hybrid. That's why Eve was all of Adam. She was nothing more. She was nothing less. He put him to sleep, took a rib, and created the, the woman from him. Thus he said, she is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And so we don't see where God created anything else. So Satan is creating hybrids. Well, this is because of the fallen state of a man is, is succumbing to these ideologies. I mean, I mean, it, it's hard to think, you know, as a, it, it, me being a man, all, all three of us, Joe, Doug, 
like even contemplating, meditating on the thought, you know, I, I, I could be a woman. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, what happens not... is we're getting dumbed down, and even Christians, this is what is so tragic, Christians are questioning their own convictions, you know, and, and they're watching the churches. Man, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Episcopals, I mean, they're going crazy with this stuff. And, you know, a guy like me comes along, and, and, and I preach as much Bible as I can and give Scripture for what I preach. Not something off the top of my head, but we give the Word of God. And, and so we've got this explosion of blasphemy and denying the very Scriptures, the Word of God. You know, Peter said in Second Peter 2, 6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Well, that scripture right there, Peter's telling us, you see the example of Sodom and Gomorrah? This is what God's going to do to those of you who live that type of a lifestyle. Yet, they will, like this young lady here, I want to retain my identity. You know, when, when I gave my heart to the Lord, I knew I had to rid myself of a plethora of sins and deeds and actions and behavior that I, that I used to do. I mean, that's just part of denying yourself and picking up your cross and following Jesus. I, I didn't know that was in the UFC. I mean, that, that just shows you what, what mindset do the, uh, I forget the guy, the, the owner of that, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but he's a multi-multi-millionaire. Where is his understanding and reasoning about fighting and putting a man and a woman with a ring? In a ring, a man and a woman in a ring. How do you do that? Something has happened to his mind to even allow that. I mean, that's, that's you know, in, in all theory, that's not fair, that's not just, that's not equitable. So it tells you how this perversion has gotten into the ranks of every type of leadership possible. I mean, uh, I think his last name was Sam. Tried to, He was a homosexual. He was a, a defensive player and tried to join the NFL. And I yeah. think uh, you know, Jerry Jones gave him an opportunity. He didn't make the cut. Uh, but where is he today? You know, because those guys, most, most especially in the black community, they have a, 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 a real uh, disdain and contempt for homosexuality, more so than in the, 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 the white community. But yet, it's also proliferating in their community. And they're struggling how to deal with it. But it just shows you uh, where we're going and how quickly we're headed down a very, very chaotic path. And, you know, my hope is in a move of God. That's why it's imperative that we pray and we see God. Church is nothing more than entertainment today. Are we going to take a break at a half hour? No, Pastor. We, uh, we're we skipping this this bottom of the hour break. Okay. Um, we're, we're headed down a path that is, is so disturbing that there will come a generation, just like the Ninevites, God said they don't know their left hand from their right hand. You know, if we, as parents, grandparents, and I'm, I'm seeing so many grandparents, this is terrible, so many grandparents 
raising their grandchildren because their their children didn't grow up. And uh, I pastored a young man for years, and he was always into drugs, always into alcohol, getting locked up, DUIs, et cetera, et cetera. He lost his license so much they would never give him license anymore. And I would tell him, his name was Donnie, I'd say, Donnie, if you don't stop this, his, his boy, he had three boys, little guys, you know, like eight, six, four. If you do not stop this and get a hold of your life, I said, your boys are going to grow up just like you. And I didn't see it the night. My wife saw it on the news. His 16-year-old son, one of his boys, the 16-year-old boy, was arrested for breaking and entering a house and attempted murder. 16 years old. Now, I, I mean, I know this, this man. He's a man now. But I pastored him for years. But he never could get over the hump with the drugs and the alcohol. You know, and I would encourage him to fast and to pray and, you know, go to church, be faithful. You know, God's not a hard taskmaster. But every one of us have our responsibility to our own lives. You know, I, I preached a message years ago on drifting away from God. It's a process. You just don't wake up one morning and you're totally backslid. That's not the way it happens. You get up one morning and you're busy, your day is hectic, and you say, well, I just don't have time to pray. And you miss that day of prayer. Well, then the next day, something else happens. You don't pray, you don't read your Bible. And you just simply don't discipline yourself to take the time. And then it goes on day after day after day. And after weeks and months of that, you know, invariably, you're backslid. You're, you're, you're cold. You're indifferent. And you're, with, you're away from God. And it's a process. It wasn't set, you just didn't wake up and say, I'm going to backslide, I'm going to give up on God. It is a process of neglect. You neglect anything in this world, it will soon begin to decay, to ruin, and waste away. You know, vines. If you don't keep the vines cut back, the, the honeysuckle vines out in the country, they'll take over a fence. They'll pull that fence down to the ground. You wouldn't think that little vine as it begins to grow and, and how it weaves itself around the strands of wire going up that fence. But I know living out in the country, leave those vines alone and come back in a couple years, that fence, that metal fence will be pulled down to the ground or have a profuse bow in it because those honeysuckle vines have pulled it down. They will take over. Those are the, those are the thorns. And, and, and the thistles and the things of life that Jesus talked about, how they would choke out. They would choke out the Word of God in your life. And, and, and this is what we're witnessing today. We, you know, the, the church has all sorts of sinful and wicked vines wrapped around it, and of course, people don't want to admit that. You know, they, 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 they don't want to say, you know, we've got a sin problem. No. They, they don't even think about that. But that's the bottom line. We have a sin problem that has now come in and taken a place, a foothold in the church, and then now we have ministries who defend it. And when you when you see that, then you, you begin to understand there is sin in their lives. 
There's no way that a man that calls himself a minister, a pastor, that has true conviction, who prays and reads his Bible and seeks the face of God, could ever condone such behavior. They know with certainty it is wrong. You know, that's, that's the good thing about a good conscience. Nobody has to tell me when I did something wrong. Nobody. I know immediately. I know immediately when I do something wrong because the Spirit of God convicts me. The Spirit of God convicts me and says, that's wrong. You can't do that. And, and don't think the devil won't set you up and tempt you to see if you still have the conviction, if you still have the goods. He'll create a circumstance, a situation, where you're, you're tried, you're tempted, you're tested to see if you still you know, have the goods. There are people who, 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 who were really good people, and, 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 and they got away from God, and they knew they were away from God, and they you know, took money at where they worked, and, and their intention was to put it back. But before they could put it back, they got caught, they got trapped, they got exposed. And that's why the Bible says in Galatians 6 and 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And I thought about that, that, that young man, Donnie, who sowed to his flesh drugs and alcohol. And now his 16-year-old is facing breaking and entering and attempted murder. You know, at 16 years old, you know, I might have rolled a few houses with toilet paper and done some stuff like that, but I would have never thought about trying to kill somebody. But each generation keeps losing an element of conviction, an element of quality in their lives. And it's all because they keep moving the line. You know, you, you, that's why on a football field, uh, I didn't know this till some time ago, why the chains are so important in, in 10 yards and measuring them. Because when they, especially when they spray paint a football field, they get off. They get off on those lines. One link, two link, or three links. It's not visible to the natural eye. But that's why those guys, those, those guys with the chains, they're down to the link. We've seen it all on television. Just barely the nose, barely crossed it. Why is that chain so important? Because it is 10 yards. But when you paint those yards in the natural, those yard lines, you get off. And so that's the purpose for the change. So there'll be no question, you know, the error is a human error when they did put the football exactly where it should have been. But the point is the lines get moved, not on purpose, but accidentally. Well, you see, ministers today are moving the lines on purpose. It's just a little bit here and a little bit there. And the next thing you know, you've moved the place so far that, you know, that's why he said, why is the gate brought as the way that leadeth to destruction? And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. Now, this other article, Christian Pastor and Bible Belt admits personally worshiping Allah. 
Well, you see, that's an oxymoron in itself. Now, I preached in this town years ago in the early 80s. A former church has been taken over and converted to a mosque in a rural North Carolina county, and a group of Christian pastors took part in a conversion ceremony in an effort to show mutual respect for their Muslim neighbors. Crosses have been removed from the former church's facade and steeple, and mosque leader Ali Muhammad turned them over to the group of pastors. What they were attempting to do is honor our tradition, and so they wanted to turn the crosses over to us, said the Reverend Jim Melnick, pastor of St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Smithville, a small town in Johnson County, about 45 minutes south of Raleigh. They were reaching out to us, and were reaching out to them. Melnick said he was joined by pastors from the United Methodist Church, United Church of Christ, and three different Baptist congregations at Saturday's ceremony, which marked the official conversion of a former Pentecostal church into a mosque. One layperson from the local Presbyterian church was also present for the celebration. Melnick said the mosque had reached out to the local churches through an interfaith group in Raleigh and was hoping to strike a welcoming and respectful tone for the two faiths. Melnick said Christianity and Islam share common origins and scripture. Well, that pastor's a liar. Because the Quran is not the Holy Scriptures. You know, uh, the Quran, or let me say, uh, Muhammad claims that the angel Gabriel gave him this version of what they deem as their Bible, their scriptures, from Allah. Well, what's amazing, uh, Islam came into fruition in the 6th century, thereabouts. Well, Paul wrote most of his epistles about A.D. 55 to around A.D. 90, somewhere at that. I think uh, John wrote the book of Revelation in A.D. 96 on the Isle of Patmos. But see, God knew this was going to come alone. 500 years later, Islam would come alone. So when Paul is penning his epistle to the church at Galatia, he says, he says to the Galatians in Galatians, Galatians 1 and 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another or a different gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert. That word pervert simply means corrupt the gospel of Christ. Now here's, the, here, here's the clincher. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Jehovah knew this false religion would come along. So Paul addresses it to the church at Galatia and says, hey, if an angel comes along and tells you this is the new gospel, that, that angel is accursed. So 
Melnick, now he's, a, he's, an, he's an Episcopal pastor, and he said, we share common origins and scriptures. Listen to this. Christians, Jews, and Muslims are all people of the book. And we all claim what the Hebrew scriptures call the Abrahamic faith, Melnick told them. We call it the Old Testament, and Muslims also claim the Bible. Islam teaches the Bible was corrupted by Jews and Christians, and that the Quran was the final perfected revelation of Allah, as given by the angel Gabriel to the prophet Muhammad. Melnick said he is aware of these teachings. All of us are humans and are imperfect. We all struggle, and we all look to the divine for inspiration, and we don't always get it right. Well, that's obviously true from his statement. Turning over a former church to be made into a mosque is historically and theologically seen by Muslims as proof that their religion is superior to Christianity and, in fact, as part of their destiny as adherents of Islam. The Middle East is full of churches and synagogues turned into Islamic sites, and it just lists a litany of all these sites that have been turned to uh, Islamic places of worship. It says, likewise, in post-Christina Europe, hundreds of churches and synagogues have been converted to mosques in recent years, but the phenomenon is only just beginning in the U.S. So, the, the sad thing is, what's happening in Europe right now, all of these bombings and terrorist attacks, they're about two to two and a half decades ahead of us. And, and that's why you've got to respect what Trump is doing, but you're globalist. And, 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 the, and the Congress and the Senate has Republicans that are nothing but mere globalists themselves. And God, for some reason, has, has put a, a screeching halt to globalism for a parenthetical time. But it's like leaven. It's going to keep fermenting and fermenting and fermenting, and it's going to leaven the whole lump, and the whole thing is going to be destroyed. And uh, I, what I find amazing is, is that this uh, uh, pastor talked about being in service uh, and worshiping with these people. And uh, he says, my job is not to judge whether another faith tradition is right or wrong, but to live as well as I can within the faith tradition I belong. And for that, I'm a Christian, he added. The reality is I can only judge by the folks I have come to know in Johnson County and in Raleigh, where we have come together in union. And we have not proselytized one another. And in fact, we have meaningful worship together. Meaningful worship together. Now, Jesus told a woman at the well, she was a Samaritan, and he told her in John four twenty two. he said, Ye worship, ye know not what. You don't even know what you're worshiping. Now, this is a Christian pastor, and of course there were other pastors there from the Methodist Church, Baptist Churches, and Presbyterian. Isn't it amazing that if a man would stand up and say, Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, you know, we, this is wrong. Well, how, how can you say that's wrong? Well, what does it mean in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, where Paul said, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? Now, what people don't understand is, when Paul said, Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, 
He's not talking about sinner people. He's talking about people who claim to be a part of the church, the body of Christ, but they don't believe like we believe. So they are, in theory, unbelievers. I believe there's a heaven to gain. I believe there's a hell to shun. Well, you listen to most preachers today. Everybody goes to heaven. Nobody goes to hell. So I'd have to say, unless you preach both, I, I'm in disagreement with you, and you, I'm unequally yoked with you. If I, if, I, if I yoke up with you, I'm unequally yoked, because you don't believe the Scriptures the way I believe them. You, you, you don't even mention that subject or mention any kind of sin. You know, I got an email from someone, and they said, thank you for challenging us, you know, because there's so few out there are preaching with conviction that places a, a greater demand on one's spiritual walk with God. If you listen to most nominal preachers and most nominal churches, there is nothing about their services that challenge the believer to a closer walk. That old gospel song, just a closer walk with thee. Just a closer walk with thee. It, it's, it seems as though we don't care about walking with God. You know, the men on the road to Emmaus, Jesus was a purported stranger as they were walking on the road to Emmaus, going back home after Jesus had been crucified, and Jesus walked with them. And they didn't know it was him. And the Bible said, they said, you know, you know have you not heard what's happened? And he acted as though he, did, he didn't know. And so, as they got back to the village, or close to where the village they were going, the Bible said, they said, hey, stay with us, abide with us, for it is, it's now evening, the day is far spent, and he went in with them, and the Bible said, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, he blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, and then it says, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him, they knew him, and he vanished, he was no longer seen of them, vanished out of their sight, and they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? Think about that. How our hearts did burn within us. And they were on this road the Bible calls Emmaus. And I, and I find that so profound because the word Emmaus means burning hot springs. Burning hot springs. He chose to reveal himself to those two men. And um, this is what we need to happen to us. We need that burning heart. Jeremiah said his word was like fire shut up in my bones. The word of God is a consuming fire. Hebrews ten twenty nine says our God is a consuming fire. You know, you, you get around something that's hot. I, I remember as a boy, they first came out with some uh, the, the polyester uh, windbreaker jackets. And uh, I, I still remember the day in some old country stores where they had pot belly stoves. And uh, 
And so, boy, you have men would stand around them, Doug, and have their hands to their backside, warming their hands and getting the heat. Well, he had on a new polyester, you know, plastic-type windbreaker, and, man, that thing just shriveled up the heat, you know. But see, that heat is what consumed that jacket. And, 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 And the Word of God is intense. I'll be the first to tell you, God's Word is intense. God's Word is demanding. God's Word is holy, you know. As I shared, I think it was last week, he comes in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, they they got some little pie-in-the-sky Savior coming, but that's not the way he comes. He comes in flaming fire, and he takes vengeance. Now, you, you, you never hear preachers talk about vengeance. But even Romans 12 and 19 says, Vengeance is mine, saith Lord, I will repay. That's why we don't take it upon ourselves to get even with some people, though we'd like to at times. But as I said, Romans 12 and 19, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Every unjust deed, every unjust act, every lie, every, every dishonest thing that's ever been said or done or perpetrated by anyone, they're going to give an account for that. And if they're not washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, that'll be the very thing that will destroy them and damn them. But men who have confessed their sins. Now, I, I know we can't recall every sin, but God knows our heart. When we ask for forgiveness, God knows. There's, there's probably never a time that I pray that I don't say, God, if there's anything that I'm not aware of, that I've said or done or misspoken or had a bad attitude, forgive me for that sin. You know, I want my heart to be right with God. You know, I got to leave in the morning. My uncle passed away last night. I'll be leaving in the morning to go to Charleston to do a funeral. And, and, and that, that's why as a minister, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's all about where are you going when you die? That, that, that's all I think about. That's why I left uh, three weeks ago tomorrow uh, to go see my uncle before I, I knew he was dying, terminal. And I wanted to see him. I wanted to sit down and look him eyeball to eyeball and say, hey, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? And, you know, he had, he had a powerful testimony. I was helping him up. He still had a, uh, lived in his home, and he had it upstairs. And uh, every step he would take, here's what he would say. He'd take a step and say, thank God. The next step, he'd say, glory to God. The next step he would take, praise God. He'd start over again. Thank God, glory to God, praise God. And he'd say that till he got to the top of the steps. And and I was behind him uh, those two nights, going up with him upstairs. And I thought about Paul's words in Philippians 1, verses 20, 21. He said, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And I thought, he was doing what Paul said. He was glorifying God and that diseased, cancer-ridden body. Thank God. Glory to God. Praise God. I thought, hey, that's the right kind of an attitude to have. Knowing you're facing death, that was just three weeks ago, and now he's gone. The brevity of life. And when I minister, you know, to me, it's, it's all about the souls. I think most of you know that. I think most of you understand that. I don't care about anything else because everything is temporal. 
There's nothing eternal in this world whatsoever other than God's Word. It's forever settled. It is eternal. But everything else, even there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth one day. And, and the redeemed, the redeemed of God, we're all going to get a new body, provided we live right. If we don't live right, we don't get the new body. And I believe one of the greatest revelations God ever gave me was people who die with a disease-riddled body, whether it's Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's, whatever the case might be, cancer, they will have that feeling and that spirit, soul, all their all eternity. Why? Because they don't get a new body. They don't get a new body. Only the redeemed of the Lord will get a new body. And I really believe with all of my heart, he showed me that. They, that would be one of their torments for all eternity. You know, the rich man in hell, in, in Luke 16, he said, I am tormented in these flames. Let Lazarus just take the tip of his finger and put it in water and touch the tip of my tongue. I am tormented, he said. Now, I don't know if he had any kind of disease in his body, but if you'll read Flavus Josephus and the Greeks' understanding of Hades, that's one of the most horrifying reads that you'll ever read. I, I put it part of it in my book when I wrote the book of Jude, did the book on the book of Jude. I wanted people to understand because the, the, the Greeks, now these were these were Greeks that were Christian said they saw angels coming to lay hold of the wicked sinners and how they were fighting and pulling and struggling to not go with these angels who were taking them to hell. But then to the Christians, the angels' arms were open, the Christians' arms were open to embrace them, to welcome them into the, to the eternal kingdom of God, eternal bliss. But to read about those people who did not want to go, but they had to go anyway. If, if you don't, I'm, I'm not trying to sell a book tonight, but I put that in that book because I think it's so important to understand the unseen world. The unseen world is far greater than the world that we see when Elijah or Elisha and the servant were surrounded by the Syrians. And the servant was terrified. He said, oh, we, we, know, we don't have any hope. We're going to die. And, God, and Elijah, Elisha said to God, open the servant's eyes and let him see. And when God opened the servant's eyes, he looked around. He saw a host of angels, an army. And he said, they that be for us are more than they that be against us. And the fear was totally abated, totally waned, just totally drifted away. Why? He could see now what he couldn't see before. All he could see was what he saw in the flesh. But he saw in the spirit, and he saw these angels, just myriads of angels, ready to do battle in behalf. And I believe in these end times, there are going to be great manifestations of angels. Why God will use an angel one time and the Holy Ghost the next time, I don't know. You know, Peter was in, in prison in Acts chapter 12, and the angel came and got him out. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira lied about the selling of the land. Holy Ghost struck them and killed them. 
Then we got Paul in Acts chapter 27. An angel stood with him on the boat that night. Said, Paul, all they that sail with thee, God hath given them to you. But they got to listen to your words. So, you know, as God wills, he, he can send angels in, in, in our time of need and help us. And we, we never know uh, when they come. It may be an afterward effect of saying, wow. Because Paul said in the in the Hebrews 13, we entertain angels unawares. We, 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 did, we don't know it at the time. But after the event, the circumstance has transpired or taken place and it's over with, the light goes on and says, there was something supernatural about this event. Something happened. Some, somebody helped me. I couldn't see them. I wasn't aware of their presence. But somebody intervened in my behalf. And, and, and that's important because, like I said, we are going to see, I believe, manifestations of angels. You'll find that in uh, Hebrews 13 and 2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I don't have time to share it, but I entertained an angel one time and didn't know it till I got through my, my situation. And uh, maybe I'll share that next week. Uh, but God is going to do some great things. But I want to encourage you today, tonight, do not give up on your convictions. I don't care what this preacher says or that preacher says. You take what any preacher says and you measure it by the Word of God. And if it doesn't measure according to the Word of God, it's heresy, it's a fallacy, it's a mendacity, it's not, it's not true. And discard it, throw it away. And then I'd walk away from that pastor, that preacher, whoever it might be, because if you, if you stay around them, they'll try to coerce you, they'll try to convince you that they're right and you're wrong. That's, that's, that's the problem. They'll tell you, no, I'm the pastor, I, I know, you listen to me. Well, no man is superior to the word of the Lord. I'm subject to God's word in all things. We all are. Now, there'll be those, as I said, who will change that and uh, rewrite it or re misinterpret it on, on purpose, I should say, intentionally, willfully. But that's, that, that, that's where we are. I hope people tonight are encouraged to hold fast to your convictions and don't let nobody persuade you any different. Amen. Man, that, that was a powerful message, uh, Pastor. You are so right. And, and it's awfully convenient when you can bend the rules, so to speak, uh, to, as you explained so eloquently, um, when in fact the Scripture does not change, the laws don't change, the facts don't change, God's Word does not change. No, sir. And, uh, boy, right on the money. And, and, and I am sorry to hear about the passing of, of your uncle, but I know that... Uh, my goodness, you, you've you've done so much, and um, well, you know, but well, but 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 tonight's message, right on target, much needed, I'm sure, uh, in the angelic, unseen realm. I, yes. I second, I second that, Pastor. There's so much, and the older I get, the more I realize that exists. Hey, Amen. Uh, it's it, it's it's phenomenal, but. Uh, but you know, you've taken us to to the end of the program, and I have to say that it, this was a wonderful lesson tonight. Well, great, and I look at it as a lesson. And, Praise and the Lord! Thank you. Well, that's all we're here to Amen. teach, to minister, to pour the Word of God into the people, so that they will know the truth. You know, Paul hmm. said, if, "If if a preacher doesn't preach, how will they know?" And uh, that's why we're responsible to preach the Word, not 
you know, sermonettes, but, but preach the word. That's wherein lies the power of God. Amen. So Amen. God bless everyone. God Thank bless you for allowing me to come on tonight. And I Thanks covet your it. prayers. I'll be traveling to, in the morning very early. Uh, that God will be with us and that God will touch uh, uh, my uncle's children. He has four children. Uh, they're all about our age, of course, my age. Uh, that God will help them during this time of bereavement. You and your family and all those around you will be in our prayers. And we Thank ask you. that our listeners uh, pray for you as well. God bless Thank you, you so Pastor. Much. Have Thank a wonderful so night. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. All right. Good night. Bye-bye. Pastor David Langford, the voice of evangelism. Visit his website. He's got some amazing materials there. Joe, the, the media that he's got there. We love the uh, Bible on on uh, video audio. We use that a lot. That's just a tremendous. Oh yeah, tool. absolutely. You know, it's just it's so it's so great. And never forget to download the app on your phone because you can yeah read it. You can. It's also an audio Bible, so you have that on the go when you're out and about, and you know when you're stuck at airports or. You know, the doctor's office that always comes in handy and, and you know for people who say they never have the time well if you have a smartphone you can make the time amen and again one more time i want to say thank you to everyone listening thank you for uh please folks subscribe to our youtube channel subscribe uh to our or follow us on our various social platforms individually and the program as well we are out there we are attempting to make a difference i think we are i think we have the the evildoers on notice at the very least and we're, we're pressing on, pressing forward. We will prevail. That is for certain. We know how this story ends. I want to thank Pastor Langford and all of our guests. John Robertson, thank you so much for everything you've done. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless each and every one of you and keep you safe. Good night.